So, Berto, I have a question for you. Mm. Are we made for monogamy? Oh, like you and me? Well, like humans. Humans in general. Humans. Well, um, I don't. I, that's a hard question because made is a loaded word. If I take it to mean, did we mostly evolve to be monogamous animals? Um, I would say probably not gen- at the genetic level. Um, but I think our societies evolved in conjunction with our genetics to a point where monogamy seems to have a lot of advantages to, for organizational purpose. Well, so let's investigate it because we've talked about it before on the podcast, but yeah. I recently came across uh, some articles, actually famous major Linden send in, sent some stuff in, and I kind of wanted to just do a review of the evidence and just mm. really try to figure out sure. what do we know about humans? What do, you, what do we know about primates? What do we know about uh, our history and society and the data that we can find in our tr- behavior today? And because it's it's a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with in terms of, um, you know, aren't we supposed to be monogamous? And I just think there's a right. lot of questions to be asked. And I think there's a lot of benefit to knowing the data because once we understand the data, then we understand uh, the situation. I, th- I think we can be kind of freed with that knowledge. You know, like for people out there, for yourself, um, how do you feel about monogamy? Think about yeah. that. Do you want to be monogamous? Do you like monogamy? Do you value monogamy? Um, how many sexual partners have you had? How many people have you kissed romantically? How many people have you liked romantically? Right. How many people have you fantasized about sexually, including porn stars? You know, is it is it one person? Right. Is it thousands of people? Have you ever cheated, even though you didn't want to hurt your partner? Have you ever thought about cheating, even though you didn't want to hurt your partner? Yeah. You know, monogamy is clearly the ideal in our society, right? I mean, h- how do we know that, Berto? I think the starting from religious institution institu- institutionalization of monogamy, but uh, when you see it in our literature, in our shows, in our movies, just in the way that the highlight of so many stories is, and they got married, and they lived happily. They, too, lived happily ever after. He rescued her. She rescued him sometimes but you know that kind of thing right we all we have to do to understand our values is to look at our movies and tv shows yeah and look at what the protagonists and the heroes do um and i want to go into that also but before going into that um let's introduce the podcast this is called the psychology in seattle podcast i'm your host dr kirk honda i'm a therapist and a professor my name is umberto castaneda and i sell weights light so yeah, in our society, monogamy is the ideal, uh, and it, we'll get into TV and movies in a second, but other things that I can think of off the top of my head is that we have all these phrases for when one uh, gets a divorce or when one breaks up. We call it failed relationships or right. a, a failed marriage. Oh, that didn't work out, did it? Yeah. I come from a broken family. Right. Um, if someone's been married three times, it it's subject of ridicule. You're not, uh, in certain religions, you're not allowed to divorce. Slut shaming is essentially just, um, an expression of the ideal of an, of monogamy mm-hmm. uh, for anybody, regardless of gender to have had sex with more than what society thinks you're supposed to have sex with. You're suddenly a bad person. Um, but yeah, so getting into movies and TV shows. Oh, sorry. Sorry. And I, and I would even say that the only example we have globally of institutionalized non-monogamy 
seems sort of uh, oppressive to our view. You know, it's okay. It's these one dude with a harem of somewhat involuntary women, you know? And, and so it's not like that we see examples of alternatives that are institutionalized right. in other places that seem fine. Right. Or a, a slut man who has a lot of women that he's dating and yeah. tricking them into having sex yeah. with him and stuff. And right. we look at that and despise it. Yeah. So I, I was thinking, okay, I was thinking a similar thing. I was thinking movies, TV, love and romance and marriage and monogamy is is just so prevalent. But I started thinking, well, what if that's one of the themes? What are all the what are all the themes in movies and TV? So I actually looked um, around, and there are people who identify ten different themes that are mm. typical to our stories, particularly in the West. What do you think those are? Themes about the relationships or about the monogamy aspects? In addition to monogamy. Oh, in addition to monogamy. Okay, uh, uh, you know, faithfulness. Right. So, reason versus faith. Yeah. Can you think of a movie that would have that? Um, when And I think that we value, sorry, to make sure we're on the same page, that I think society values faith. Well, regardless of what society oh, values, see, there's like, a theme. Okay, sure. Of, reason versus faith. Yeah. Uh, well, the story of, I think Christopher Columbus is one example, where uh, there was faith that, there was going to be this other land, right? Uh, there's like a, a very big story. Uh, I think movies like Braveheart, where there's faith that we will, everything's stacked against us, but we will somehow overcome this terrible thing. Right. Martin, Martin Luther King, like any of those stories. Great. Raiders of the Lost Ark is yeah. kind of that way. What's another theme that you can think of? Okay. Another theme would be, um, uh, you know, rich versus poor, maybe like class struggle. Okay. Uh, is there a broader topic to that? Uh, I mean, uh, us versus them sort of thing. like uh, Good versus evil? Good versus evil, certainly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Right, right, right. A uh, right. lot of good versus evil. Right. Every fantasy movie, for sure. What's another theme? Um, let's see. Well, the I guess what I'd say is the hero's journey of the nobody becomes the hero. Yeah, right? Coming of age is coming what it's called. Age. Harry Potter, Star sure. Wars. What else? Uh, another one would be the oh well this would be sort of a uh, the collapse of civilization. Uh, I'm thinking of stories where they're not as common these days actually, but it used to be a very common theme. Tragedies like lots of Shakespeare plays were tragedies where everything was start at the start of the play everything seems to be going great. And by the end, everything is in disaster. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to... You know, it's like disaster movies are an example of that. Right. It's hard to fit everything into yeah. a neat uh, category, but I would say this is what you're talking about is the what they call the theme of death. Sure. Um, of sure. just like, yeah. you know, people die. Yeah, yeah. Unforgiven, no country right. for old men, just like it's a tragedy, right. bad things happen. What's another? Uh, another What's, one might be betrayal. Like... Um, uh, so, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Spies or, um, uh, yeah, like just... Uh, yeah, well, so I might put that in justice. Like, oh, it's called sure. the justice theme. Justice. Um, there's also uh, family drama, like The Godfather or uh -huh. Back to the Future. There's also perseverance, like Rocky. Mm. There's also sacrifice, like Lord of the Rings. And then the, you almost kind of got to this, this hum, humanity versus technology. Yeah. Like 2001 or any, or Terminator, this kind of thing. Sure. And love. 
And it's, by the way, almost always heterosexual monogamy, by the right. way, that's, that's headed towards marriage. That's the theme. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to think of a movie that doesn't have this in it. Um, this heterosexual monogamy, long-term forever, you know, at the end of Lord of the Rings, none of us think that Aragorn is going to divorce Arwen. Right. We're like, they're going to be together forever. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it's going to work. That's how it's going to work. Of course, there's no other option. Right. And so this reflects our, our ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, Aragorn doesn't have another woman on the side. Nope. Aragorn isn't like, well, you know, we'll give it 10 years and see how it goes. You Ar- don't see them fighting already. Right. Uh, so that's a whole other thing. It's just like normalizing of, of just normal everyday right. relationship issues. So name any movie that we haven't talked about so far. Just the first movie that comes in your head. And then we'll see if love is a theme in that movie. Uh, marriage story. <laughs> okay, yeah, obviously. So, so now it, you, you could see it in certain elements of the movie as the tension of this theme of heterosexual monogamy in that, I don't know about you, but I was kind of hoping they would get back together. Of course. And they'd work it out. Now, my artistic side was hoping they wouldn't because I would think that would be too much of a cop-out. But there was an emotion inside of me, a a wish that they would work it out and they would, you know, find... Right. They would find... They would come back together somehow. Well, can you think of a movie where throughout the movie, the, say, husband and wife are fighting quite frequently. Some of them are kind of ugly fights, not physical but just kind of nasty fights but that's not even the theme of the movie and they never they don't divorce or get back together like right that's just, just part of the movie right whenever you have a so i actually discovered this trope is that when you have a movie that's oriented towards men the first time you know the the, the hero's the male the first time you see the woman if they're already involved in a relationship the first time you see the woman is in what context if it's if it revolves around the man, if it's a male oriented movie, oh, something like she's getting in the way of his goals. No, like a scene. Think of a scene, like the first scene when you're okay. introduced to the fact that he has a wife. A wife. Uh, what's the first scene we see her in? Um, she's in the kitchen with the kids. Um, could be, but another, and of course, I haven't done a full study, but in my head, yeah. The frequent thing that I see, if it again, it's a male-oriented film, yeah. like he's a, a marine or something. Yeah. It's in bed. Oh, sure, yeah, I could see that too. Like in the morning, yeah. they're yeah. familiar with each other, they're playful, yeah. and they have morning sex. Yes, that's fair. If it's a female-oriented movie, I was sorry, I was thinking of the scene in, um, you know, because this is also a trope. Like the the protagonist comes down the stairs, the kids are like, "Hi, daddy." And the wife's cooking the breakfast, and then he's off, and then the story starts. <laughs> right. But maybe that was after the sex scene. <laughs> yeah. There has to be some acknowledgement yeah. of his sexual power over her in I the see. beginning. I mean, not over her, but yeah. that she's she wants to have sex right. with him, and that they have an active she's sex She's blessed life. him to us. Like, yeah, this is a cool guy. Right. He's the kind of guy, me, who is an attractive female, would have in bed. If it's a female-oriented movie, like Divergent, for example, mm-hmm. the first time we see the male uh, love interest, what do we? What's the scene we usually see? Oh man, she's kicking his ass or something. I don't know. <laughs> He's playing with kids. Oh okay, <laughs> and and listening to her feelings. Wait, which one's Divergent? It's uh, it's okay. like a Hunger Games ripoff. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. But yes, anyway, yes. so um, so name another movie. 
Raiders of the Lost Ark. We already talked about it. Okay, sorry. Uh, no, no, different no. one. Oh, yeah, different one. Yeah, just uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. <laughs> That's all Okay, right. so Pulp Fiction. We have definitely a romantic uh, situation yeah. between... Uh, There's a know, couple, actually. Between Uma Thurman and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the central um, innocence of the movie is introduced later in the movie when you have yeah. the French girl and... Um, and, uh, and Bruce uh, Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah. And there's no talk about them being with anyone else. It's a chopper, baby. <laughs> They're going to be together for the rest of their life. That's right. uh, so even in a movie that's as brutal as Pulp Fiction uh, and of several different stories, one of the central relationships yeah. is a the ideal of heterosexual monogamy. Well, you could sort of sense that the the tension of the Uma Thurman and John Travolta is the frustration that, oh, man, they could have worked out. Right. They, those two could have been our... Name another movie. Princess Bride. <laughs> so obviously, right there, it's implied that neither of them have had sex with anyone else. Right. They were in love from a very... They met when they were young. Yeah. And First at, love. At the end of the movie, it's true love. True love. Marriage. Actually, it's true love. Yeah. To believe he probably lost at cards and he's worried about, you know, uh, <laughs> geez, yeah, anyway, name a third movie. Rounders. Okay. That's an interesting one. So, uh, that's the one with, um, uh, Matt what's her Damon, face? Uh, uh, and what's her Edward face? Edward Norton. Uh, I, for, I always forget her name. Yeah. She's English. I think yeah. British. God's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, her. Uh, yes. And, they are, uh, you know, there's a love story there. Now, yeah. this is a story about gambling. Right. But, you know, story B is our longing for these two characters to fall in love and right. be together forever. Um, I want to call, I want to say your name is like Miranda or, or and, Minerva. Uh, or, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> and, and in fact, what, what frust, again, the frustration in that, in that movie, which is a great movie, you know, but. Uh, part of the pr the thing that makes it a good movie is that we are forced to endure this character giving up on this seemingly supportive relationship for chaotic reasons, you know? Because yeah. part of us is like, oh, come on! She supported you through your gambling addiction. Right. That's, that's the tragedy of this movie is right. that Matt Damon's character, uh, he allows his hubris or his pursuit of fame or greatness to get in the way of the true thing he should you know yeah. the tragedy of the movie is that he's losing this heterosexual monogamous yeah. stuff Gretchen Mole was Gretchen Mole I was thinking of the other woman actually from an, from I was thinking of his of his Goodwill Hunting uh, oh, counterpart oh I know what you're talking about yeah. uh, who is God damn it, it's taking me so long to figure out who's Great in the program. mini driver is her name. <laughs> okay. Really fun moments when you're waiting for answers. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, Jeopardy, such a sad situation oh, uh, for God, the, for Alex Breck. But there's a great thing that our local Ken Jennings is the greatest of all time. Did you know he just won? They did a, they, they brought back the, the best competitors really? of all time in our local Seattle. Oh my goodness. A uh, guy, Ken Jennings. I did not know that. Whom a friend of mine actually knows pretty well. So I feel like I know greatness anyway. So now, so that's just movies. So that reflects to us and that 
obviously, if you're going to talk about uh, East Indian movies, Japanese movies, you know, all around the world, right. heterosexual monogamy, to some degree, is considered to be a major theme in the way we tell ourselves the ideals of life. Right. And there's almost no variation. We're not talking about same-sex relationships. We're not talking about uh, polyamorous relationships. We're not talking about uh, serial monogamy. You know, they don't ride off into the sunset and say, well, let's give this two years and break up yeah. and, 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 and let's see other people in, in life. Like literally the only exceptions here in modern world are like in, in, the, in the Middle East. And I don't know what their media is like. I don't know if... It, what their movies are like, you know, if they, if they make movies that are, you know, if that, that'd be an interesting question. Does the romantic aspect involve multiple women in that case? Is it still, I don't think the average know, person in the middle East has multiple, has multiple wives. They can't that, afford it probably. Well, I think that's rich people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so around the globe, uh, there's a lot of different opinions about it and we could go on and on about this, but anyway, so the rest of this conversation uh, a, a lot of my notes are based on this article that famous patron Linden sent us by Patrick Clarkin, PhD, titled Humans Are Blank Anogamous. Mm. Blank Ogamous. And Ogamous. there's a, it's a blog essentially, and he, you know, systematically goes through a lot of the, a lot of the science. And so a lot of the details from what I'm about to say is from there. So mm. I want to credit that. I got data from other places as well, but anyway. So let's go into terminology, monogamy. Yeah. So manos in Greek means what? Uno. Uh, alone, right. And gamos, monogamy, means what? Uh, love. Marriage. Oh, sorry. Right, right. Similar, but marriage. marriage. So monogamy Phil is... Philo is... Uh, love. Love, yeah. Like Philadelphia. Yeah. So the terminology... So the, oh, wait. the term yeah. of... Yeah. Like yes, ang yes, yes, Anglophile, yes, 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 uh, right. Necrophile. I was trying to get where the brother part was. Delpha, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So the term monogamy is used not only for humans, but it's used for animals as well. <sighs> yeah. And there's a, a lot of confusion around the term because it can refer to a lot of different types of monogamy. Like what? What do you think? Well, like romantic monogamy versus just like functional monogamy. What do you like, mean by functional? Uh, well, if you're talking about animals... They're literally just pragmatically together. But what do you mean by together? In love. How do we measure together? Oh, as in uh, they're not having sexual encounters with other uh, animals. Right. uh, And they they travel together or they stay in the same area or whatever, you know, like co-located. Right. Yeah. But it gets weird because what if you have a couple in among gibbons, for example, and they... Uh, you know, they pair bond at a young age and they, they're, you know, together until they die. And they generally only have sex together, but occasionally either one of them might have sex with another person. Um, do we call that monogamy or do we call that something else? Um, another is, let's say you only have sex um, three times in your lifetime as right. a particular animal and you, it's only with one uh, other individual, but you don't spend any time with that individual. Right. Are you monogamous? So right. it gets kind of weird. So the different um, areas, you have marital monogamy, you know, humans, marriage, married, marrying to, of mm-hmm. the two people. Uh, that doesn't necessarily include sexual monogamy. Um, plus, if you're married and say you meet at 16, you're virgins, you have sex, but you fantasize about other people. 
Right. Is that monogamy? You know, I don't know. Uh, classical monogamy, uh, which is marrying a virgin and, and staying together. Um, so that's another thing. It's like a, a lot of times when we're talking about monogamy. We're talking about, well, of course, temporary you had, monogamy. You had sex with people before. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like. And after. <laughs> yeah. And during. So serial, serial monogamy is partnership with one person at a time. Social monogamy, close physical proximity, working together. Sexual monogamy, genetic monogamy, meaning that you only have kids, you know, kids with that particular person and, and so on. And this is in opposition to other, what other kinds of words? We, we've already said a few of them. Polygamy, duogamy, I don't know, tri- triogamy, I don't know. <laughs> what other ones? Uh, I right. mean, well, uh, uh, like, what do you call it? Uh, asexuality, like when you're not... Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what the word would be for like, you don't have a gammy, <laughs> you're not married. Ag- agamy? Agamy? <laughs> well, and you're having sex? Not just with yourself, right? So it's... Right, so, well... Agamy. <laughs> right, well, asexual. Yeah. So, but polyamory is the... Poly- polygamy and polyamory would be the, the ones that come to mind. Right, as, swinging, yeah. non-monogamy, polygony is, is different yeah. than polygamy, and you have polyandry and all these kinds yeah. of other words. Um, related terms, we have uh, homogamy, which is mating with people within the same ethnic or sociocultural background. We have exogamy, referring to both humans and other species, exogamy? meaning you uh, one one's leaves the natural group that you're in to find oh, potential see. mates. Um, so, uh, for example, for us, uh, we have evidence in our uh, uh, bones record that indicate that um, Australopithecine females would leave to have sex with other people. Uh, heterogamy, endogamy, anyway. So there's just a lot of terms, and it gets confusing. And so we'll try to be specific instead of just saying sure. monogamy. All right. So um, actually, in looking at my notes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift things around. Um, so there's a lot of evidence that we're not monogamous, by the way. But I want to talk about first... The evidence that we're monogamous, partly because it's shorter. Sure. And I just want to establish that up front. So let's just stick to, and maybe we'll refute some of this stuff as we go, but let's talk about evidence that we're monogamous. What do you think? Uh, Okay. Well, I think there is the natural, it seems to be natural human uh, jealousy reaction, not just to romantic jealousy. I just mean even, you know, kids feeling, We, we even talked about this, how uh, maybe it comes from the sense of fairness. So then they, when they when they start feeling like something is unfair, they feel that sense of envy, that you know, and and jealousy. And so, if you then take that too well, if humans are going to be in relationships, it's quite likely that that's going to manifest, or that jealousy is going to manifest in those relationships. Therefore, uh, because we have that aspect of natural tendencies towards wanting our own thing and controlling our environment and and guarding against others. Therefore, that is going to lead us down a path where monogamy fits better with that model. So I could see that argument. Okay. And that's not like saying that that the evolution was, oh, yeah, monogamy is a good idea. It was more like, hey, this jealousy thing seems useful. And the side effect is, oh, I want to only have this one woman or one man. How would we benefit from only having one man or one woman? Uh, it's, it, again, it's, it's a side effect. It's not a benefit in this oh. model. It's a side effect that maybe for other reasons, like resource gathering, protection from the environment and other humans, jealousy became useful. 
Okay. And as a side effect, they're like, oh, well, yeah, I only want this one mate. So interesting. And so that's one. You're not going to get a lot of people proposing that speculation, but it's perfectly fine. I mean, we just don't know. It certainly could have been that way. But you, you could see how, because, you know, why do, why do people want their guns and why do people want their house? And I want a house with right. a fence. Mm-hmm. And I want, like, it's a lot of this protection. I want to protect against others and things, right? So yeah. You could see along those lines something like, well, therefore, if I'm in a relationship, I want to protect that relationship. Right. Like yeah. people will be possessive about things that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, it, you know, stands to reason like, well, maybe our possessiveness over our mate is related. Yeah. To that. So that's one idea. Another idea is actually or another example of why it might be inherent. Um, this one is the, well, uh, women don't have a ton of um a ton of opportunities for for uh, creating new new life uh they they're not like other animals you know they have these cycles they have a limited amount of eggs a limited amount of time in their life where they can give birth it is a risky endeavor it, when you are giving birth you're you're giving birth through these tiny canals these big headed beasts you can die easily that the child can die so you need protection and so um, it is advantageous to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you're staying with me. First of all, I need you. You need to be good because I need you to be able to put good things inside of me. And two, you're staying with me because this is risky. I might die. I need you to protect this child. So that angle, kind of right. like the procreation angle. Yeah. Uh, and then another angle might simply be the, again, because I, I think that what we call society and culture is a blurry side effect of our genetics. I, I think that over time... It became less uh, contentious to have everyone sleeping with everyone uh, because when you had everyone sleeping with everyone, it might have led to greater instability as a society, more infighting, more uh, dissolving, sub-branching, people breaking off, things like that. And so then maybe it became more advantageous over millennia to be like, yeah, no, 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 no. You stick with her. You stick with him. uh, You guys... Like we have some separation here and uh, that that might have been an, a societal advantage. Good. That last one is evidence that we're inherently not monogamous, but, but sure. I, but culturally monogamous. You uh, mean genetically inherently not monogamous. Right. But yes. And we'll get to that theory as well. That, that hypothesis it, it, later. It's just because this is a bone that I like to pick with you, which is that we we like to distinguish because you, you often do say, well, that's society. That's not genetics. And I hear you. But, but the question of where our society came from is a chicken and egg question related to our genetics. Mm-hmm. Because clearly over time, before there was even language, patterns developed as a result of the way we were. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's quite possible that there are still genetic aspects that lead to that societal outcome. Well, quote unquote, everything is genetic yeah. because... Uh, if you include like cause and effect, uh, genetics and our biology is a hundred percent involved in every decision, cultural and otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but the distinction, and the distinction is, you know, uh, not an easy thing to uh, delineate, and it's not an easy thing to discuss because it's just such a weird philosophical thing. And we'll get into this later. But in a nutshell, yeah, that the question is is sort of dumb right from the start. Is like. You know, what are we inherently? What are we naturally? You know, what is our natural state? Um, It is both a ridiculous question because of the reasons that you're stating and others, but also it is kind of a relevant question because 
the for example we can say with some certainty that we are naturally uh, supposed where our natural state is one that involves exercise right that if we for example choose to sit in front of a computer 16 hours a day think bad things tend to happen they're not going to happen right away and you can someone might be able to exist without those negative You're effects. You're being cytophobic right now. But the <laughs> we all know that it seems, stands to reason, that our nat- quote-unquote natural state is to exercise a certain amount every day and that your risk of things go down when you exercise a, a certain amount every day. It, yeah, it, so it, it, so we're, yeah. it's inherently, it's a natural for us to exercise a certain amount a day. And we can't culture that away, you know? Uh, when we do, we see effects like yeah. heart disease and depression and anxiety and sleep problems and, you know, gaining weight. And you know, right. we see problems that uh, that we as a society deem to be problems, which is a whole other philosophical thing, you sure. know, because everyone dies. What's the point? You know yeah. what I mean? So it's just a matter of what we pr- privilege in the same way uh, there. It's, it is a helpful question to look at. What are we, quote unquote, inherently or natural? What what were we like uh, before uh, culture came along and uh, started to make value judgments about certain kinds of lifestyles and decisions? And how how similar are we to that and how different are we to that original state? And if we are different, are we seeing ill effects from our attempts to try to uh, be, to, you know, to shove a square peg into, mm-hmm. a, into a round hole. And, absolutely. And, and to emphasize this, what makes it so much harder is we aren't actually uh, sort of at a finite state of evolution or at a, at a node, a leaf node of evolution. It's a fluid thing. So uh, take, for example, are humans meant to sprint really fast? Like, well... No. Okay, well, it turns out humans are really great for long-distance continuous running. They can basically outrun any animal eventually. But they're not as fast. And you can tear tendons if you run really fast, too fast, too soon, too, when you're too old, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it was really useful, and it started being more useful when you could catch animals and blah, blah. And now we have events about it and all these things. So it's a, it's a gray zone, right? Same thing with things like... Uh, this is the eternal debate with the nutrition. Are humans omnivores? Are we mostly herbivores? Are we mostly carnivores? Right. And there's great evidence on all sides. Right. You know? Right. It's, an, it's a great analogous conversation that most of us can understand that it's worthy to investigate. Yeah. Um, what is our natural eating uh, situation? At the same time, it was never natural for us to have access to food from around the world. We, o- we only had access to the local uh, food that was available. Yeah. So not, you know, to say that acai berries are like the secret ingredient to, to human happiness is ridiculous since acai, <laughs> since acai berries were only available to like 0.01% of the population of the earth. Absolutely. So, so it can't be that acai berries are essential to humans. <laughs> um, uh, so the... But it is a worthy question, and we and I think all of us kind of understand that that um, we can't just decide. Okay, I'm going to eat X, and that's all I'm going to eat for the rest of my life. And ex- even though it's not likely that's the way I was designed yeah. to live, 
that that's going to go well for me. Um, but we also understand that there's a lot of different ways to live yeah. happily and healthfully. Yeah. Someone can be vegetarian and be perfectly happy and healthy. Someone can eat meat and be perfectly happy and healthy. That's right. And so, uh, but, uh, and so we've learned that through data that there's a lot of different ways to be healthy and our natural state must have been adaptive to the situation. There must yeah. have been humans that may, might have had no access to meat that managed to survive. And there were other species, other tribes of humans that that's all they ate. I mean, there yeah. are people in Alaska that from what I understand, all they ate was meat, you know, they, cause sure. of the tundra, there wasn't a lot of vegetables to eat and yet their, their cholesterol is okay and stuff. And so, right. so one, we adapt to blah, blah, blah. So it is an interesting question because for example, we have a lot of people in our society right now who are lonely who are depressed, who have low self-esteem, who are beating themselves up because their marriage isn't going well, who are sad about their parents getting divorced, who are ripping apart their finances and their lives because of going through a court divorce system, who are literally killing themselves because they're being ridiculed for not being married or for getting a divorce three times or because they 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 don't fit into the the round hole you know they they have a tendency to want to be with a lot of people but they force themselves into monogamy it doesn't go well or vice yeah. versa and it is a relevant question um and it is worth exploring so um although so it's it's worthy and it's a ridiculous question be, like right. we, we said earlier because uh, we cannot separate culture from genetics yeah. Genetics emerged in culture. Genetics emerged in in the environment. It never emerged without it. So it always is in consideration of the environment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and and we're adaptive. But anyway, so oh, sorry. And one last thing is the uh, we continuously get hit by an asteroid. Meaning, um, there's no genetic evolution pattern that could have prepared the dinosaurs to deal with being hit by an asteroid. And right now we are dealing with certain exponential growths of our tech and our society that our genetic evolution wasn't, there's no way it could have prepared us for. Uh, So therefore, if we were right now studying the question of is monogamy natural and we could, and we had little time travel bubbles and we were asking the question as of, you know, a a, a thousand, let's say 6,000 years ago, we can analyze each little pocket of, of humans 6,000 years ago and look at, well, that question is monogamy natural. That already would be hard enough. But now we're talking about like in a global environment where people can travel almost instantly via plane, definitely instantly via electronics, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, <laughs> con- contraception. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the hypotheses that we're meant to be monogamous and that we're naturally monogamous, it, the hypothesis is why we evolved to be monogamous as a species it has to do with some of the things you're saying is that we became monogamous to avoid inbreeding with children. Uh, females were too far apart to allow non-monogamy is one hypothesis. Uh, mate guarding, you know, you kind of mentioned that a little bit, that jealousy. Uh, it actually does help uh, in certain species will do this is they will mate guard as a way to prevent other people from impregnating your female mm-hmm. and vice versa. Uh Females choose a male to act as a bodyguard against predators and other and other males. You, you mentioned that. 
Males are needed to prevent infanticide from other males. And also male parental care means you have double the ability to feed this child and take care of it. So there's a lot of you know strong hypotheses that you see among other species as to why a species would benefit by being monogamous. Um, so, so we have some strong hypotheses. Um, evidence, though, is that many cultures privilege lifelong relationships. You know, around the world, it it seems to be. Um, fairly common for cultures to say this is the ideal. Yeah. And uh, that could be reflective of, quote unquote, what's natural for us. Hard to know. Doesn't necessarily mean that, but, you know, it's quote unquote evidence. If it was the opposite, we would have evidence in, in, the, in the opposite. If like no culture around the world thought that marriage long term was a good idea, then we'd be like, well, maybe that's a reflection of our natural proclivities you know yeah. what i mean we we seem to have an urge that yeah. manifests itself in in the collective yeah. uh, to uh, be with people uh forever and to be happy when the high school sweethearts manage to stay married yeah. for, for 50 years that seems to produce <laughs> happiness in people and so maybe that's an indication of quote unquote our natural state you can definitely cut it both ways right because you can see um not even cynically just over time you could see the elders of society throughout the millennia going, man, we got to come up with some rules that people can really follow because this is kind of chaotic because our natural tendency seem to be to fuck around. So uh, let's, uh, you know, remember that tale we were telling the kids? Why don't we add a little extra chapter to it and we'll just talk about how they have to stay together with their one mate. And right. it's kind of, you know, the, the gods, the rock gods decreed it. And then over time that becomes like, the way to enforce what's better for society. That's one story. But then the other one is like the, what you're saying, which is over time, people are like, yeah, it seems like we're kind of generally happier in this state. Why don't we just make it official? Like, that's the way it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. is, another, the strongest evidence is in my book and another theorist book is that we fall in love across all cultures. We fall deeply in love with, in, with individuals when yeah. we like someone, when we love someone, when we find that one person, we have a powerful urge to be with that person. And it's a powerful experience. I mean, all the songs and right. all the poems and all the movies <laughs> and, you know, all the stories we tell ourselves, it is, you know, one of the most popular things on Reddit and on YouTube is when someone will propose to someone else. Yeah. There's a, there's a cute famous one that occasionally gets reposted on Reddit of, uh, there's two women and they're like in Europe somewhere and, um, someone's filming that they give the camera to. And one of the women gets down on one knee and gets, gets a, gets a ring. The woman standing goes, Oh my God. And she reaches into her bag and pulls out a ring <laughs> and she gets down on her, you know, oh. they, they both were going to propose to each other on this trip, but one did it anyway. And, you know, we love, it's upvoted, everyone's crying, everyone loves, you know, I don't even know these two people, they could be assholes. They're two women? Yeah. See, this is the problem with same-sex marriage. Yeah. You can't know who's going to propose. It's, it's Jennifer and Steve, what was yeah. it? Uh, no, Adam and... Adam and... It's not Adam and... It's Adam and Eve, not, right. not Eve and... <laughs> uh, Archie Bunka over here. <laughs> 
so uh so right it, it's a it's a powerful experience we 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 love to even watch people get married <laughs> you, people will go to a wedding they don't even know the people they'll cry <laughs> uh you watch rom-com you know crazy rich asians and at the end i'm seeing two actors on on the screen get married and i'm tearing up a little you bit. watch season after season about how you met your stupid mother right <laughs> uh we have powerful brain mechanisms that are involved in not only in you know oxytocin but also in basically addiction and uh, quote unquote madness right. when we fall in love with someone it, it's a it's a very powerful experience we so that is biological man right. that is not cultural nope. and so we we must have evolved a natural ability or you know uh, compulsion to pair up although so you know the the poking holes could be well first of all sure clearly animals have developed uh seasonal uh hormonally driven uh drives that are very intense to woo to woo a mate and you see that in even biologically their plumage changing and stuff like this so you could imagine that as as uh primates got more uh say complex and especially as humans started getting more complex uh, this became still true, but it became harder because now it wasn't good enough to just like, you know, woo a woman in one afternoon with some muscle flaring and then, oh, cool, we'll, we'll have sex. Because society and, and the whole thing became way more complex. So you had to do something a little more long term than that and, and more impressive. And so it had to be drawn out. And but yet you needed to, to motivate the, the, the people to stay in it for longer. So you needed a, a kind of this falling in love sort of sequence. But the intention wasn't ever, but then you're going to stay together for 100 years because you're going to die in five years. So don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> so and we'll get to all that later. Uh, there's a lot more evidence that we're not quote unquote naturally monogamous. And that's one of them. Another one is that w sex is usually better with long-term partners. Uh, studied by Armstrong et al. 2012, women reported orgasms in uh, so first hookups. What percentage of women reported orgasms in the United States? Oh, interesting. Uh, Forty percent. Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Oh. Second or third hookups per percentage. Thirty. Sixteen. Oh. <laughs> Uh, and then percentage of people who were women who reported, uh, orgasms in long-term relationship sex. Okay. I, 60, 67. Okay, good. So we go 69 from, almost. <laughs> so we go from 11 to 15% to 67%. That's a huge difference. So, uh, now again, we could point to a lot of different reasons for that. Men not being taught how to have sex, for example, uh, women being taught that they need to uh, put themselves on the back burner uh, or, sexually. But there could be a lot of emotional reasons for but, it. Yeah. But it's evidence-ish that yeah. uh, we're, quote-unquote, naturally made for longer-term uh, relationships, that yeah. uh, whatever needs to come into play, we could all agree that orgasms are a good thing and uh, indicate that things are going well. And so it's just one measure of, of saying, well, it looks like maybe our natural state is long-term relationships because women have more orgasms in that situation. You could even theorize that, um, and I don't know if there's any evidence for this, and maybe there isn't, but you could theorize that, hey, uh, since you need a lower stress environment for a successful baby, maybe, you know, in order for women to have kind of that lower stress environment and more fulfillment, you need more attachment. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
Another study found that 90% of teenagers said they hoped for a lifelong monogamous relationship. So it's just another indication that, you know, either culturally what or whatever. What 90%. Oh, wow. Okay. Helen Fisher is a well-known uh, researcher in love and sexuality. Uh, she and her colleagues had a, a study in 2002. Across many cultures, 13 characteristics that were reliably associated with intense romance, romantic love. What do you think those are? Uh, characteristics associated with intense romantic love. Yeah. So I'll give you one. Obsessive, intrusive thinking. What else? <laughs> Obsessive. Wow. Um, you know, so empathy or, you know, considering the other's needs, I guess. Uh, um, no. Uh, well, no. You'd think it would be, but it it's not part of it, I don't think. Oh, no, no. A high sense of empathy and altruism toward okay, the other person. Okay, so yeah, so, so that. Uh, another one might be uh, the uh, strong family orientation or something like that. Like, no. No? Okay. These are like... When you ask someone, what does it feel like to be in love? Oh, I see. Okay. Um, uh, Exhilarating feelings like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, adrenaline rush. Um, Uh, Increased energy and exhilaration. Yeah, yeah, that. Um, Breathlessness, uh, sort of. Um, Okay, well, I'll put it in this category. Sleeplessness and loss of appetite. Okay. So physiological. Um, Daydreaming. Uh, thinking, uh, focusing on... Uh, Daydreaming about the person, basically. Uh, no, I think that's the obsessive, intrusive okay, thinking. I oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, stalking. <laughs> like, uh, tendencies towards, like, seeing that person all the time, basically. Uh, like, wanting to, you know... Yeah, no. I mean, no. that's not one of the ones I okay. get. I mean, obviously, that makes sense, but... Um, pre, uh, talking about them all the time. Like, you know, I think that's the obsessive, intrusive thinking part okay, of it. Yeah. That one covers a lot. Uh, well, or focusing on positive qualities of the other person while sure. while overlooking negative ones. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. So, so I'll just say the other ones. So we have obsessive, intrusive thinking. We have thinking the other person is unique. Mm. That's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Prior prioritizing emotional union over sexual desire. So it's it's you know uh, sure. when we fall in love, it's not just about sex. It's right. like. You know, we are one. Focusing on positive qualities while ignoring the negative. Increased energy and exhilaration. High sense of empathy and altruism toward the person. Sleeplessness and loss of appetite. Feeling greater connection to the person through adversity. And feeling that intense romantic love is involuntary, but also temporary. Hmm. So um, the intrusive thinking part, many respondents to one study who were in love estimated that they thought about the other person what percentage of of the time? (laughs) 95%. 95%. Close, 85%. <laughs> so 80, you know, they were like, yeah, about 85% of my waking hours, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm about, thinking about that person. So this is similar to OC, OCD, <sighs> yeah. similar to addiction. Um, now, it's so that seems to be strong evidence that we're at least meant to pair bond and, and maybe by extension monogamy. But again, it's not necessarily evidence of monogamy, which we'll get into later. Um, but, you know, it, it stands to reason that we our natural state you know for whatever sort of worthless phrase that is we seem to have evolved into a species at some point that um, needed to survive by uh, having intense motivation towards another person yeah 
to one, get them pregnant and to stay at least together long enough so that the child is out of the hazardous years. We all understand that a child from zero to, especially like zero to two, is like one of the most vulnerable creatures on the planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, they can't think for themselves. They can't, they, they can barely locomote themselves. Although, have you seen the Jungle Book? It seems like you can leave them in the forest. In yeah. The jungle. You, uh, you know, there's just so many things you need to do. And then let alone the years from two to five yeah. that you need to guide them <laughs> and help. They, they can't run very fast, you know. And they seem to want to do everything that would get them killed. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so there's that. Now, research finds that most divorces in the world occur after how many years? Uh, seven years. Four years. Four years of marriage. So that could include, you know, one okay. year of courtship or something. So it's so you hear the seven year itch. Yeah. Um, but it's I think I think this is itch. but I think this is a similar thing. I think often what happens is people will have an itch that begins at about year five and uh, by the seventh year they really feel it, you know yeah. what I mean? So uh, so th- this is evidence that we're serial monogamous at the yeah. ver- at the very least, in that uh, now, maybe we fall back in love with that person and have sure. another child with them, sure. but maybe we fall in love with someone else and we have a child with that other person. You know. So the cycle, I see. So this would be an interesting uh, theory. It's like, yeah, look, uh, Mr. Evolution, we just need like five to seven good years of, you know, rearing this this child. Then you can go on with your merry business. And that that would make sense, right? It'd be like... You have those intense feelings, you pair bond, you're together, you have the child, the child's safer, and then you're off. <laughs> right. Exactly. So another other evidence, other studies will find that we tend to be happiest when we're married, and we tend to live longer when we're married. Similar to one would say, we tend to be happiest and live longer when we exercise. We tend to be happiest and live longer when we have a well-balanced diet. Right. We tend to be happier and live longer when we get to go into nature more often. Um, we tend to, uh, you know, uh, be happier and live longer when we have friends and relationships that yeah. are around. And so it seems like, you know, there's evidence that our quote-unquote natural state is to be uh, monogamous for the rest of our life at a, after a certain point. And because we we live longer now, it's not strong evidence, but you know it's evidence. Okay. So, and by the way, that that's one that the media actually kind of that we produce it sort of goes backwards with it, right? Most most at least yeah, most uh, relationships you can think of the 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 stereotypes the are always uh my my wife said this or oh my husband's such an idiot or whatever, right? Making it feel like. That's not happiness, but they have to deal with it. And yet you see the, the, the ones that are not pair bonded yet, they're living life to the fullest. They're the adventurer. They, and then they fall in love. At, at the end of the story, they fall right. in love. <laughs> right. We tend to have this, especially in, in rom-coms and these kinds of stories, that the, the most ideal time of your life is when you're falling in love. Right. And then... We have this other bias of like, if you've been married for 30 years, things are dreary and, and, you're, oh, yeah. and you're bored and you're sick of each other. You know? Yeah, like think about how many rom-coms specifically. You have the, the woman protagonist, she's kind of considering this guy and she's talking to her female friend who's been married for a while. 
And then she's like, well, don't ask me. My husband is just a slob, blah, blah, blah. Or Woody Allen movies, the protagonist already is married. Right. And has been for 20 years. And it's bored. And it's bored. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we clearly really like the beginning because it makes <laughs> sense. You know, that's when our hormones really kick in. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a break and we get back. Let's go because most of my notes have to do with the evidence that we're quote unquote promiscuous or or non monogamous. Okay. So let's take a break. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. So, Birdo, if a caveman from the old days uh, were to, uh, you know, get into a time machine that he built and come on on this podcast, well, I'm making him he because it's you, and come on this podcast and convince everyone to become a patron, what what would he sound like? What would he say? Oh, I see lots of rock I can build cave with, but one thing I don't see is lots of patron. I can build bigger cave with you support this podcast patron and we build big cave together uh, wait caveman are you monogamous I have many monogamous relationships <laughs> all right so evidence of prom- promiscuity and promiscuity not being a negative uh, connotation just a word that we're using to mean non-monogamous um, so let's look at comparison to other animals so that's one way, that's one line of evidence that scientists will often point to okay. as to, well, let's, let's look at other mammals, let's look at other primates and see what they do, and maybe right. that's a reflection of our early natural state. Uh, a caveat before we go into this is that there's a lot of oversimplification about our primate cousins and about right. their behavior. For example, you know, a common generalization is chimpanzees are mean bonobos are nice right um, it's way more complicated than that uh, bonobos can be very mean and chimps can be very nice some of my best friends are bonobos and uh, I bet and the uh, and the internet I also say as a caveat is filled with crappy science for you listeners out there who actually are scientists I should have said this at the beginning for you listeners out there who actually are, this is your dissertation, pretty much this entire episode's going to annoy you because cause, <laughs> cause this isn't a, an expert. Um, I'm not an expert on the topic. Except the things I say. They'll love those. The experts on this topic will be able to speak much more, uh, you know, at length and much more uh, accurately, obviously, um, and use the right language. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's that. Um, but I, I feel like I'm good enough to be able to at least speak with better accuracy than a lot of people on the internet. I mean, you go to psychology today, you go on YouTube when it, whenever this, cause I did, I did a yeah. lot of this research. You go on Reddit or something. There is just so much shitty information out there. It's essentially what I see people doing on the internet is they learn one or two facts and then it sort of confirms the thesis that they want to have about our natural state. Sure. And they just, say that and we'll go into that here some of the some of the details it'd be like you know the detail i said earlier it'd be like so actually some you know fundamental conservative people in our country will say like well god made us to be monogamous look at all the chemicals involved in falling in love right 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 it's obvious that god made us 
as monogamous. You know, we don't fall in love with 10 people at once. Right. We fall in love with them. So that's an example of that, of like cherry picking one detail. That's true. And not paying attention to all the other details. Including when the question is raised about what about when a same-sex person feels those same hormones and feelings. Right. Right. Exactly. So we'll get into that stuff. Um, all right. So let's look at all primates in terms of monogamy. Um, so how many of all the primates, there's 200 plus primate species, what percentage of those species are monogamous? And it depends on the definition. Hmm. <laughs> um, so I'll give you all the studies, but what, sure, sure. what, what percentage? Okay. Um, 30%. Meaning that lifelong mates yeah. living exclusively. Of with all 200 species of primates, uh, 30%. Okay. So one study found that it's 3%. Yikes. And another study found that it's 29%, which is... Ah, I was right. Another, another <laughs> it study, confirmed my... <laughs> another study found it was 14%. Okay. Uh, so it depends on how you look at what, by definition, what is monogamous. Also, we don't have a lot of... You know, you think, oh, it's 20, 2020. We have tons of data. It's like, we actually don't. No. I mean, you, you have to spend a lot of money and time yeah. to observe these primates in their natural environment, you can't observe them in a zoo right? because they will exhibit different sexuality in a zoo. So you have to go to the jungle or go to, you yeah. know, South America. And, Super complicated. Yeah. Dangerous. And everything. They don't have sex right in front of your cameras. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you gotta, you, you gotta. But you can interview them. Yeah. Um, 20, another study found that 27% were partly monogamous. Um, so it's probably somewhere around 10 to 15% are monogamous. Um, I was within a hundred percentage points. So was there are very close. Uh, so uh, the very uh, clearly monogamous. There are two American monkeys and two lemur species that are uh, monogamous, and this is the same rate generally found in all mammals. By the way, uh, which is about um, nine to twenty percent. So oh, all mammals. So Whoa. most mammals. The vast majority of mammals are not monogamous, mm. and the vast majority of primates are not monogamous. But let's get into what we mean by non non monogamous. But let's 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 uh, talk specifically about our closest cousins, which are whom? The chimps and and the gorillas. Bonobos. Oh, bonobos. Yeah. We're actually not closely related gorillas at all. Actually, well, compared to monkeys, we are. But yeah, yeah. Okay, so chimps and bonobos. Yeah. So. Uh, chips and bonobos are our closest cousins. Both live in social groups like us, and both are highly promiscuous compared to most other animals, including mm. other primates. So chimpanzees generally only have sex during ovulation, estrus, uh, and generally only have heterosexual sex for the purpose of reproduction, mm. but not entirely. They could certainly have sex outside of estrus, and they could certainly have non-heterosexual right. sex for the purpose of reproduction. Uh, females have been observed to copulate with as many as uh, with to copulate as many as fifty times a day with a dozen different emails during estrus. A different, uh, dozen different males. Right. So, so when a female is in heat, jeez, okay, she has sex with a dozen different males for a total of fifty times. Got it. Uh, a day. Just trying to guarantee that impregnation, basically, by anybody. Yeah. Bonobos. So, so that's a very oversimplification. So, just imagine, like, you know, whatever that looks like. You have chimpanzees in their "quote unquote" natural state, where uh, 
the females will go into heat, so to speak, and they they have the urge, and they start to uh, put out the signals that they're ready yeah. to go biologically and behaviorally, and they uh, also you know reach out to other males. The males respond, right, and uh, and there's not a lot. There's some mate guarding, but not a lot of mate guarding. Right. Clearly, because if a dozen males are having sex with the same female in, in that time, right, right. Uh, so um, so there's that. Okay, so then bonobos, similar to chimpanzees, but they generally have sex all the time, not just during estrus. They have homosexual sex. Right. They have even sex with infants, right, right, right. which can seem really you know, since they look like humans, that that yeah. feels bad to us. Right. But it doesn't seem to be bad for them. Uh, there seems to be a, a, a very s- slight exception for adult mothers to have sex with their adult sons. Mm. But even then, it sometimes happens. But aside from that taboo, it seems like everything else is off the table. For example, mothers will have sex with their infant sons. Interesting. Um, so, And they have sex for various reasons. They have sex to relieve tensions between individuals. They have sex to bond. And they right, have sex right. for, for reproduction. There's accounts of when the bonobos find food or a watering hole and they're all happy, they're all jump, jumping around, and then Those they, just have sex. <laughs> they, yeah, they have sex before yeah. they even drink the water. Right. Be, you know, the speculation is one, they're so excited they want to have sex, but two, they are worried that they'll try to compete for the water. Ah, and so it's like, okay, we're good, right? You know, we're still. We're still bonded, you know. Let's have sex with each other so we don't fight over, the, over this resource. So this is what makes it so hard for me because you know how you have this little water bottle every time? Yeah. I get really anxious because I feel like we're about to compete for the resource, and I get really horny as a result. Is that why you're humping my leg right now? <laughs> so uh, females have sex with males and females of all ages. So, so bonobos are similar to chimpanzees in terms of when you compare to all species of mammals and animals, but significantly different in that they tend to have sex all the time and mostly for not reproduction reasons, but definitely for reproduction reasons. And they tend to not differentiate between male and female or age or, you know, of childbearing age or anything (laughs) like that. So now when we compare humans behavior to bonobos and chimps, who are we more like? (laughs) Neither, but chimps sort of. No, we're more like bonobos. Um, we're considered to be more like bonobos. Oh, I see what you're saying. Not in our society, but our our natural tendencies. Uh, is that what no, you mean? our 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 society today. Oh no! So I, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this understand. in a second. When when you actually look at actual human behavior, like actual human, and it's hard to know because by what metric, but yeah. but the experts will state that humans and bonobos. Because of the reason that they have sex for a lot of different reasons. That's, that's oh, me. sure. Yeah, I could see that. I just mean like we over the millennia developed so many hangups or uh, s- societal rules around what's appropriate and not appropriate that um, today in the Judeo-Christian world, most of that behavior is completely inappropriate. And people will be shameful and guilty. Yeah. After doing things, sure. That, I mean, I, all, I, I see that, but that's why I was, say, yeah, okay, that's why I was asking. Looking if you at meant actual like behavior, b- behavior and versus and, society and yeah. urges, you know what I mean? 
Not, uh, but, not yeah. what society right. necessarily tells us yeah. to do. But I will say that even then, and, uh, so I totally agree, and I see the point. But I, I, I would say that the, the average uh, Western person isn't in a constant, um, isn't in a constant state of uh, arousal. Like, yeah, let's drop our pants, let's have sex right now. In and any neither context, are bonobos. Right? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you can observe bonobos for hours, and there won't be any sex. It's not like yeah. it's not like they're in a constant state of sexuality. Sure. Um, but uh, when you do observe them, you know, twenty four seven, you see a lot of sex happening um, compared to other primates that is non-reproduction reasons yes. and humans also tend to be they uh, seem they seem to be doing it for pleasure right chimps or bonobos yeah. whereas chimps comparatively tend not to do it for pleasure yeah. uh, so i feel like what, what i was trying to get at is i feel like our our society has been uh modeled closer to the chimps except strip away all the numbers like yeah, yeah, it's just for reproduction, and only yeah. one at a time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like, we all have an inner bonobo, but our society is trying to make us into chimps. Yes. And we're trying to, we're trying to why the violence. We're trying to shit, uh, fit a, a bonobo-shaped block into a chimp. Anus. Oh, I mean, what? <laughs> so speculation that we actually saw during that documentary, Why We Hate, right. was that chimps have to compete for food more than bonobos because they were on this other side of this river. And so the tribes rely more on male aggression to uh, fight for yeah. resources, whereas bonobos had abundant food, so they allowed they were allowed to relax more about resource management, and they tend to be more cooperative. And and a sex emerged; they adopted sex as a way of being more cooperative. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, it you know when males in the bonobo species start to exhibit aggression, it actually isn't helpful for them to do that because it risks injury, it risks right. um, pissing off other tribes, and it's just like, look, there's enough food to go around. Calm down, we'll, we'll jack you off. <laughs> Ex- exactly. It's exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, so, ben- so bonobos <laughs> it, you know, exhibit what they exhibit. <laughs> Can you imagine? Sh- this would make our world so much better, right? You have this like angry senator like oh i want to ruin the environment and it was like hey calm down calm down we'll jack you up well who in our society would have to do that terrible deed uh yeah there would be people assigned to that i guess we'd have to elect them like uh, (laughs) uh the vice president in charge of fluffing Hey, man, <laughs> maybe you have to rotate the jobs. <laughs> sure, you can be president, but next time you're the fluffer, <laughs> the pacifier, we call them, the pacifier. <laughs> you know, so that's another speculation, uh, right? It's an interesting thing to think, Not to, to, no joke, it, are, are wars and, and crime, right. because we're trying to shove ourselves into the chimp camp right. by not having sex more often. By, by by stigmatizing sex right. for everyone so that they can't act on their impulses. You know, again, it sounds ridiculous, but imagine a world in which, you know, you have no a, possessions. A, a woman who, uh, you know, come she, she gets off work and she is, you know, she's tense and she's bothered and she's coming home and, oh, their kids are, the, you know, oh, they're going to picking up kids from the daycare and, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
uh, she just as she's going into the daycare, she sees this hot guy, and she's like, oh, you know, he's he's pretty hot. Right. And imagine a world where she could go over to him and be like, let's do it right here on the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. I, I needed some relief. Yeah. Uh, can you please let me get you erect and, yeah. you know, stick it in me and, you know, uh, and let me have a few orgasms yeah. or something. <laughs> I'll pay you for your trouble. Oh, wait, we do live in that world, <laughs> except you get arrested. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, they have sex. She's like, oh, that felt good. Well, yeah. see ya. And she picks up her kids, goes home. And nine months later. And, 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 all, <laughs> and all that took was, let's say, seven minutes or yeah. something or, you know, 15 minutes of time. And literally, you could do it right there on the lawn in front of the daycare. And, and we don't. That's what, that's what bonobos are like. Now, we do have some complications in that uh, we short-circuited uh, some aspects of evolution. And maybe because of that and other factors, we have all these diseases, you know, uh, venereal diseases. And that has, that tends to put a, a, a little bit of a hamper on uh, how free these things can be without some risk to the societal structure. But um, the reason why we have those is, well, we've always had those, you know, yeah. chimps and bonobos have venereal diseases and it doesn't, it doesn't stop them. Stop them. Uh, also, the, the superbugs come around because of the, uh, the way in which we're global, and so viruses will spread way more readily. Um, and also, uh, we use antibiotics that create superbugs. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like, I, and I always like because I actually was asked to uh, years ago to do a talk at a uh, convention for people who had S- STIs, like um, permanent yeah. ones, like um, herpes or something. Yeah. And we have so much stigma about that, but. The thing that I always say is like, you know, let's say uh, we all understand that going to work and interacting with other human beings puts at us at risk at getting an infection. Yep. It just happens to go through the mouth and the nose. Yeah. Uh, the flu, common cold, these kinds of things. We all understand like, well, that's just a part of I could prevent that by wearing a hazmat suit and, and maybe not leaving the house. Yeah. But that's not the life I want to live. I'm willing to take the risk because, you know, that's okay. You know, people get sick sometimes and you just get through it. No big deal. Right. Even herpes of the mouth or something, you know, we just go, well, you know, what do you, I'm not going to not kiss anyone for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, yeah. It's going to happen. But somehow when it comes to infections that uh, have a vector through the genitals, somehow now it's like, oh, boy. You got to inf- it, it's the exact same thing. Gonorrhea. Now syphilis yeah, can, have, can have complications. But, AIDS though. <laughs> but you AIDS get, became a big game changer in that sense. Right, and that's 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 because of the globalization and if it in the past cuz in the past AIDS probably did jump from uh monkeys primates to humans but one, the tribe would die off and not have any offspring, you right. know, and similar kinds of diseases. Well, that's why I was saying we short-circuited certain aspects of evolution because right. in the in most of these cases, if they're bad enough, they'll die. A lot of people will die over the years. <laughs> but anyways, all I was trying to get at with that is that in modern modern day society, that woman will have some inconveniences going to pick up the kids, going to her job and all these things, where does she get severely sick from her uh, random casual encounters? Yeah, but you know, anyway. Yeah. The, uh, uh, now, I'm not proposing <laughs> that this is the way. I, I'll always get, whenever I talk this way, I'll yeah. always get emails from people like, how dare you 
uh, propose uh, a quote unquote ideal future that involves basically like rape of humans. I'm not proposing this. Right. There's course. actually no way. Even, and it's consensual. Though. Even if science proves that this is our natural state and yeah. we are supposed to be like bonobos, which I, I don't necessarily believe. We have to live with the way we've already built our society, you know, like it's also unnatural for us to drive cars and pump carbon into the atmosphere. But yeah. I don't propose that we go back to like a hunter gatherer society. It actually would probably help us. But uh, well, but you are also not proposing anything non-consensual. Right. So exactly. They, there's not. Any yeah. Of and pe- but people like because of their trauma histories, they're somehow threatened by being loosey goosey with like hypothesized sure, sure, like sure. scenarios. The other thing is, is. Um, there are versions of people who do this right now, you know, yeah. where they'll be, they're in the swinger community yep. and they're like, uh, now they realize there's a law against having sex, you know, in a parking strip, but they might be like, okay, um, wow, I'm a, I'm a little bit tense. Hey, swinger community, I need to have sex right now with right. a man. Um, can we meet in the bathroom at my work and let's yeah. do it. And so there are people who do this, it's right. consensual and it, yeah. and it works for them. Yeah. Uh, so it's not unheard of anyway so to summarize uh among chimps and bonobos here you know something like 80 to 97 percent of primates are non-monogamous so if if you're going to roll the dice yeah humans are probably also (laughs) non-monogamous in our in our past our closest cousins are definitely not monogamous right chimps and bonobos are extremely non-monogamous right uh you know chimps have sex with multiple, the females have sex with multiple males while they're in estrus. But they also don't play Fortnite, to be clear. Yeah. Bonobos have sex seemingly with everyone in their tribe at at some point and out in the open. And it's, it's normal, you know? So are we supposed to be like bonobos? Are we supposed to be like chimps? Are we in between? Um, What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, like like what we were saying. So um, I, I really do believe that there is a mixture of practicality and then grotesque overuse of the practicality that happened throughout the years. So I do think there were practical reasons why having people sort of stick at least for several years with one mate were advantageous to building a, a human society that was survivable. And so... Um, I actually think that based on the fact that we tend to be more chimp-like in our temperament, if you will, <laughs> uh, that I think that that seems to be maybe uh, conducive to peace more and more. But at the same time, uh, there's no outlets for the remainder of our personalities and our instincts. In other words, uh, imagine a model where it's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, we encourage and give societal benefits to you sort of pairing up at least for a decade. You don't, you don't have to stay together, but just, you know, try it out so you can have some stability, raise a kid or something. Uh, number one. Number two, uh, we take away the stigma of you starting a new relationship. That's okay too. You know, like just, just don't, don't get people killed in the process. Like don't, you know, number well, two. Well, and, I just want to, yeah, yeah. I just want to asterisk that. That assumes that promiscuity leads to anger and jealousy right which i'll get into later which isn't necessarily true but go ahead well at least it seems like the the um 
Well, we certainly exhibit that in <laughs> our current like, society. Yeah. But I'll get to well, and through history and through history yeah. for sure. And but we'll get to all I mean, of written history, <laughs> right? Uh, the, the Iliad, or, or uh, so. It's, what, a, it's you know. another. It's, it, it's a hard argument to make that we don't instinctually have those. Well, we'll get to that. Okay, but uh, but I'll say the third thing is, well, uh, so hey, Mister or Mrs., uh, you have some sexual tension, and uh, for whatever reason, your monogamy, lo- your temporary monogamy partner is not available, or you're not interested in that right now. That's okay. There's a total legal sanctioned way for you to do that and society supports that right and because society supports it and little kids learn that no one actually gets that jealous about it right so interesting hard to know but does this evidence of bonobos and chimps mean that we are non-monogamous oh yeah well i'd say like yeah sure from the from the genetic perspective and stuff like uh how our bodies function naturally i I would imagine that uh, we are closer to that model of having multiple partners than not. Do you think we're naturally more like chimps and bonobos than we are like the way we are today in, in Seattle society? Naturally? That's where I don't know because all the culture that we have, all the knowledge we have going back as far back as we know. But if we had a time machine and, and yeah. looked at ourselves – Half a million years ago, when our species was emerging, yeah. or say three hundred thousand years ago, when our species was yeah. you know clearly established, would we see behavior that was like today, or would we see behavior that's like bonobos or chimps or something else? We have we kind of have a written record of it. We seem to have more behavior like bonobos crossed with chimps in antiquity, where essentially it was a mix of the free form sexuality. But coupled with the violence and the, and yeah, the violence and the patriarchy. And over time, society enforced rules that made us more like a, a peaceful bonobo chimp version <laughs> with monogamy, but with the peace aspects. Well, that's within history, right? Because <laughs> yeah. culture emerged well before the written record sure, that we have. Sure. But, but, but then, and then one because yeah. of agriculture, for example. Right. And what one, it's again, the onus is almost on the other side because maybe the reason chimps and, and bonobos are not humans is because their way of organizing wasn't as conducive as the way that humans eventually organized. Yeah. So the answer to the question is we don't know. Uh, there's no way to know and because this is something that people will do when they, yeah. they're like, look at bonobos, look at chimps. Like, yeah. they're not monogamous. So we're clearly not meant to be monogamous. And it's a compelling argument. I've made that argument. And it, it, you know, it stands to reason. But I literally used bonobos in my argument before. Right. But there's no way to know if that's true because... Yeah. One, we did not evolve from bonobos and chimps. We evolved from a common ancestor of bonobos and chimps. And we have no idea what that common ancestor was like. I mean, we certainly see a lot of variation between chimps, bonobos, and us. And we are more successful than either of them. Well, successful, you know. By all metrics, right? (laughs) Well, by our human-decided metrics. No, no, by by universal metrics, let's say. By... If 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 there is one metric, but success doesn't have to do with it. It just has to in terms of like reproduction. That's yeah, what you're like about. we vast outnumber them. We basically decided their fate. Sadly, we are yeah. the most successful mammal in. Yeah. But anyway, history. The, the point is, is that 
we don't know uh, that just because they are, we could observe them and quote unquote their natural state, which they can actually vary too, depending on their environment. Yeah. That's an important thing to point out. Um, but we, like for example, bonobos can be actually quite violent and um, you know really hurtful to their fellow species when they're uh, troubled. Anyway. Uh, who knows what the ancient ancestor was like that we all evolved from, one, in their natural state. Two, there's no way to know uh, that our uh, line on the on the tree of life didn't evolve into a natural state that was really quite different from the other two. There are certainly a lot of branches on the evolutionary tree where you have uh, three species that are very close in cousins, and one species has a completely different set of, of instincts and behaviors. And so, so the answer to the question is, it's evidence, you know, that it's, it's worthy. You know, we can look at bonobos and chimps as like, you know, uh, uh, sort of vague evidence that we probably in our natural state were not monogamous at the very least. But it's unknown. We just, we just can't know the answer to that question because the only way to know the answer to that question is to, to actually get a time machine and go back in time and or raise thousands of humans from birth in a biodome and observe them and watch. You, know, you probably get 100 different biodomes and you observe over you know, 10 generations the kinds of behaviors that emerge in those groups of people. Yeah. Of course, we're not going to do that. We can do that with rats. We can do that with bonobos. We, you know, we actually do uh, do that with, with other species. And we'll just never know the answer to that question is a thing. And so we have to be very tentative about looking at bonobos and chimps as evidence of who we are. Sure. Uh, but what other evidence do we have for pr- promiscuity? So one uh, thing that we've already talked about is humans simply are not very monogamous. <laughs> uh, studies, sure. uh, when we look at cultures around the world, one study, what percentage of cultures were uh, the behavior was, you know, tended to be exclusively monogamous? Well, sorry, but but this is sort of loaded, right? Because I feel like we're talking about permanent monogamy here. Instead of temporary monogamy. Right. So this is permanent monogamy. So this, yeah. is, this is where you actually look at the cultures, at the societies. Yeah. And from what you can tell, it looks like there's no extramarital right. relationships. And, and, and this is where like, we're already kind of sacrificing this huge plot of land because we're going from 50 times a day during estrus with 12 partners or constant sex at all various different contexts with babies and adults and everything to... Yeah, mostly monogamous. I've had a few affairs. Those are not in the same realm, right? Yeah. So therefore, if the if the question was what portion of human populations are mostly monogamous for stretches of time, I'd say the majority. But if the question is what portion of the human societies are uh, you know, regularly, like there's there's affairs or people break up, and yeah, then I would say actually that's the majority. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right. It depends how you ask the question. Well, I, I'm asking the second question. So, so sure. Yeah, I'd say that probably, uh, like, things like, what is the statistic? 50% of marriages end uh, in divorce or something. And I'd say probably. In the United States. We're talking about around the world. Yeah. Sure. And maybe it's less in more traditional societies. Um, so, I would say maybe uh, at least 40% of, of the world reports 
not being consistently monogamous. Yeah, and it's not report uh, from what I understand the studies, but it's this one study, well, and it depends on the definition, sure. depends on the method, but it's 16% is what 16. they found. 16, oh, okay. Yeah, That's so much um, particularly those societies that encourage men to be involved in child rearing, like the United States, have, mm-hmm. have more likelihood of being exclusively monogamous because some societies don't really have a culture that encourages men to mm-hmm. be involved that much. Um, but again, it's hard to measure. Um, but when we look at the United States, um, most people have sex with multiple pe- multiple people in their lifetime. Study 2011, CDC, United States. What percentage of men and women had more than one partner aged so that when they ask people aged 25 to 44, so okay. these are you know your your prime sex years, so we say. Yeah. Um, what uh, percentage of women? had more than one partner, reported having more 25 than 25 to 40, more than one partner. Women, percentage, I'd say uh, 70%. Good, 77. Yeah. Men? 87%. Good, 85. Very close. What about seven or more percentage? Seven or more partners? Yeah. Okay, women would be 50%. 31%. Okay. Men? Uh, 40%. 49. Okay. So now the gap kind of looks weird. It's like 31% of women, 49% of men, uh, probably due to cultural pressures on reporting. It's hard to know. But at the very least, we see here that uh, the vast majority of people in the United States do not have sex with only one person. Right. But then a different way to look at that is that over, you know, 30 years, (laughs) they barely had sex with anyone. (laughs) Maybe. But – but to if if an alien were to observe us the way that we observe chimps and bonobos, yeah. they would say like, "Oh, humans are not monogamous." I disagree, man. Because imagine if you if you observed bonobos for thirty years, and mostly they had sex with one or a couple partners, would you really call them? Yeah, they're like polyamorous. No, you'd be like, yeah, they're fairly monogamous. Well, again, so it depends on the definition. Yeah, are we saying? Um, you have sex a hundred thousand times with one individual, and then one time you have sex with with another. Sure. Are we calling that monogamous? Well, but I'm even saying like, let's say it was like for three years they had sex with one person, then they had another relationship for seven years, then they had another three year relationship, and then they've been in the same relationship for ten years. That to me, sure, it's quote unquote serial monogamy. But as a as a species, like from an animal level. That feels monogamous to me. Again, it depends on the definition. I know. I get it. But we're also talking about lifespans that humans have way longer lifespans than most animals, you know? And so you can't even compare in many cases, you know? <laughs> yeah, certainly there's like some... Like if, if, if a bonobo lit... Well, that's still a bad example. But I am thinking that no question if the strict definition is, no, no, you literally only had one sexual partner. Yeah. By definition, we are not. But right. that's so, not very practical. Well, okay. So as you're talking, I think that there's a, I think a helpful distinction between two general camps of quote unquote monogamy. One is, is that for some period of time, mm-hmm. you, you tend to prefer to be with one individual. Right. Whatever that, you know, say a year or five years or whatever, you know, yeah. some, some sort of span of time. And uh, that, that feels, if an alien were to come down and observe, they'd be like, wow, you know, you observe for like a year, they'd be like, wow, 95% of them only had sex with one individual during that span yeah. of time. That's a, that's a monogamous species. And that is very different from bonobos and chimps. Right. And certainly that's what they would see among a lot of hu- humans, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, another uh, version, another sort of 
camp of monogamy is um, how many people did you have sex with in your lifetime? Sure. Uh, regardless of span of time of sure. of, of monogamy. Um, anyway, so yeah. so uh, as you said, half of marriages end in divorce. It's actually more complicated that I, I can't remember the exact figures, but it's like half of um, half of marriages, but um, something like only thirty five to forty percent of first marriages end in divorce. Oh, interesting. So um, so second and third are more commonly right. So it, so if you get divorced once. Your second marriage is much more likely to end in a divorce. Oh, no. And third divorce, third marriages are very likely oh, to end in divorce. That sucks. So if this is, <laughs> if you get married your first time, yeah, uh, like two thirds ish yeah. chance, you'll probably stay together the rest, the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, so that seems to, but a lot of marriages end in divorce. This is evidence that we're, quote, unquote, not monogamous. And I'm comparing us to, you know, again, in the animal kingdom. Yeah. They will look at, for example, gibbons, which are a a primate. And for the most part, they tend to uh, mate with one person for their entire life. Yeah. Um, There are, quote, unquote, divorces occasionally. But but it's not – and they live a while, you know. And it's not serial monogamy. It's not – they don't – they – uh, they don't tend to stray from yeah. that. And so anyway, so compared, oh, compared to Gibbons, right. we're not as monogamous as Gibbons. <laughs> that's a given. But, that's a given. But um, I, I was going to say the, the interesting thing about having the stat of like, okay, so uh, one divorce, you're less likely, but sorry, no, the first marriage, you're less likely to divorce, but afterwards you're more likely. Um, this made me think of something. The expectation at a society level is that you are going to be monogamous. You're going to be married, not divorced. That's the general expectation, you know, as we've as we've talked about. Um, but at the same time, there is the expectation that you're going to um, find the right one, right? So, like, that's how you stay together. So then it's like... This crazy demand because, oh, and then on top of that, it's like, and you probably should be a virgin, right? Like, it's like, okay, wait, wait, how the hell am I supposed to find the right one in the first place then? It, it doesn't make sense. So, um, at a bonobo level, or, uh, sorry, a given level, um, I feel like they don't have as much of a choice. It's not like they get to travel, see the world for a bit, go to college, right? No. They grow up in their little society, and that's their partner, and they mate, and that's the thing. Well, it occurs to me that when humans were less free, marriages probably lasted longer, <laughs> and there were probably less separations. What do you mean, like 100 years ago? Yeah, or even longer, right? It was like, you didn't have a choice. Yeah, it's true. First of all, you met less people. Right. You had less distractions. You didn't have porn. You didn't have any other stuff. And you certainly, the church, in many cases, wasn't even... It was a verboten thing. Now, you may be unhappy. You may fight. It may even be violent. Sucks, right? But you're going to stay together. Mm-hmm. So then I'm wondering, well, then what is our natural state? Mm-hmm. Because you think, well, now that we're freer, our natural state seems to be more divorced. But you could think, well, then, therefore, is our natural state to eat a lot of sugar and get f- overweight? Right. <laughs> that's, good. That's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Because that's a, a tempting conclusion is... Well, we're moving into a freer, more flexible society. Right. 
that is not being um, it's it, there's not as much control yeah. controls on our behavior as it was a hundred years ago when you had uh, strict laws, even yeah, yeah. strict religious uh, ideals, strict uh, you know stigmas. Women could literally be killed and still right. can be in some societies if they uh, cheat, for example. Yeah. Uh, so we're heading into a society in which people are flexible and free to to be who they want to be. Right. Does that mean that and, – and we're becoming more promiscuous. Right. Does that mean that our natural state is promiscuity? But as you said, maybe our society is actually uh, – because it's not the way our society used to be. Right. We're, we get exposed to all the things you mentioned and, and we also get exposed to hundreds of thousands of strangers every day. Yeah. And so uh, – Maybe that's what's causing us to be promiscuous, right. and and not and maybe in the olden days, five you know three hundred thousand years ago, when we came into contact with one hundred, two hundred human beings, and half of them would be the other gender, <laughs> and um, many of them were our relatives, <laughs> and many of them were our relatives, or too young or too old or something. Yeah. And what did we look like? You know, maybe yeah. it was like because I guess when you think about it in that sense. Uh, and maybe this is similar for bonobos, I don't know. It's like, well, even if you were the biggest slut in the tribe, <laughs> it's probably like a dozen people. You look monogamous. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there just isn't that yeah, many yeah. people. And maybe, you know, this is actually interesting because that, that you brought this up. Maybe our, uh, you know, now that we're free, there's a certain evolutionarily designed in, instinct that when tribes would bump up against other tribes, which was very rare, right. there would be this sort of like, ooh, you know, I want to get me some strange. Strange gen- genes, strange DNA. Yeah, I want to get some strange here, you know, but it only happened like once every five years maybe. Yeah. And so uh, the rest of the time you're monogamous, but every once in a while you're like, boom, okay, well, let's sh- let's shuffle yeah. some genes between the other tribes and, and then let's not see a- another tribe for another five years. Maybe it's like... Uh, and since the average human lived to be, you know, 60 years old or something, right. uh, well, not average, but the average adult lived to be about 60, is that uh, you effectively would have sex with one person like 99.9% <laughs> of the time, and like every now and then you, you, yeah. you would, you'd have a dalliance. Right. And so it's an interesting question. Again, yeah. we have no idea. No idea. <laughs> we just don't know. Like they're all great speculations, and, yeah. you know, and we just also have to acknowledge that all of our wishes get infused into what data we <laughs> tend to uh, privilege. Like, yeah. you know, there are certain uh, people who like poly- polyamory, for example. Yeah. There's there's polyamory advocates, if you will. And they will cherry pick the data. Just look, humans, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not supposed to be monogamous. Right. But the conclusion I have is it's like, we just don't know. Like, it'd be, it'd be nice. <laughs> it, there, there seems to be strong evidence. Yeah. But we really just do not know. Yeah. Uh, now, what we do know is that we can think more flexibly about what is possible for humans. We don't have to say – what we do know is that from the data, yeah. there's a lot of different ways to be happy and a lot of different ways to function as a society. Uh, just one detail is like uh, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we – as a not only an industry in my field of psychology, but also in society, we deemed homosexuality to be deviant. Right. It was a disorder. It was against God. It was unnatural. Yeah. It was evidence of something wrong with your brain. 
in the same way that if we see someone ranting and raving and seeing that they're, you know, I'm Darth Vader <laughs> on the street, we go like, well, they have a disorder. There's something wrong with their yeah. brain. We, it's so out of the norm that, and there's no rational reasons why that would be happening or, and it's totally dysfunctional. Although it, now we might believe it because since Emperor Palpatine came back, anything is possible. God damn it. <laughs> so, um, so we deemed it unnatural and, and thus, you know, uh, a disorder, um, I can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> that basically we we change uh, like because we used to call homosexuality a disorder, and we right. have, like so we, our notions of what is conducive, what's good for us, what is natural, right? <laughs> it has changed yeah. over over time, and so you know we just have to be mindful of that. Anyway, yeah. so the other evidence that we're promiscuous is is fantasy, which off, isn't actually brought up very often. Interesting. When you ask people what they fantasize about. Uh-huh. Uh, strange is a very common theme. Sure, uh, people that they know and just strangers, yeah. uh, people other than their sure. monogamous partner. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Hence, why porn? <laughs> right. Um, also, you know, it's not like there's a high demand for porn that involves your spouse. You like, know send I mean? away, send us some of your pictures of your spouse, and we'll generate some porn for you. Right. That's uh, that's a business idea. That right certainly there. happens, but it, it's I mean in terms of you film your spouse sure. doing something and you know you masturbate to it later or whatever. But but so fantasy is also a, 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 an interesting sort of p- right. line of evidence because we're free to think about whatever we want to, and when we are aroused, it's a physiological response. There's no arguing with the fact that a certain fantasy turns right. us on, and if we frequently t- think about people that aren't our monogamous partner, then are we, maybe it's supposed to be how we're really supposed to be. That's the perfect argument for why we are monogamous by nature, because we develop through evolution, the ability to fantasize about others without having to do stuff with others. I like this. That's the debate. It's like both stories can be true. No way to test for it. That's the point. We have no way to test which one is true. And that's what I want everyone to understand as we go through this is like, whatever you've learned about, you know, the debate, are we naturally monogamous or not, is that... People, philosophers included, they'll start pointing to data, but it's like, well, we just don't know. There's no way to test if that's true. Just because it feels right to you doesn't mean it is, you know, supported by the data. And again, it goes back. And by the way, I'm not actually taking sides here. I'm just kind of enjoying pointing the inconsistencies no matter which way you cut it. Because the whole thing about what feels natural in our head or whatever, again, um, take some morphine. And then ask yourself if it feels natural that you want more morphine, right? And what what that means, and you know, and so like, sure, there's lots of things we desire, lots of things that are genetically programmed for us to want, right? And then still, we have to make conclusions about is that what we should do? Is that what's best for us? Right? Is that what? Well, you, you uh, know? maybe a more down to earth example is eating Doritos. Yeah, is you know feels natural, but I think most of us can agree that, uh, and good. Uh, I think most of us agree that you're you shouldn't be eating Doritos only. Those radioactive looking, super cheesy triangles look natural to you. <laughs> the other data here that we are promiscuous naturally is that humans cheat a lot, even though there are many consequences against it. You know, cheating is one of the most destructive things that we can do. All, all of us can agree about that, and. And I've talked with a lot of people who have cheated, and 
everyone is busted up about it. I mean, even people who right. do it uh, frequently, when you actually ask them to reflect on it, they don't want to cheat. They they wish they could have a right. – cheating isn't the goal. The goal is to – you know, I don't know what the goal is particularly. There's a lot of reasons why people cheat. But anyway, and this is true in all societies. So if you look at uh, in the United States, affairs over the course of a marriage, uh, this is self-report, remember, because right. you can't measure this empirically. But when you ask men over the course of a particular marriage, yeah. and this is actually a stat that I came across that I liked because a lot of the stats, they'd be like, when you ask men and women how often they cheat, it's just like lifetime. Lifetime, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't very interesting because think about all of us when we were like 16, sure, sure. like 20. Uh, cheat, you know, most people have some event yeah. in their life that could be categorized as, as cheating. Like how much in a relationship are you at right. some point? So, so this study looked at a marriage mm. and over the course of a marriage, right. what's the percentage of men who report a cheating event? Okay, uh, 60. Uh, estimates from 30 to 60%. Wow. Uh, women. 40. Uh, 20 to 50%. Okay. So estimates even range further from that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, a problem with this, it seems like it would be a relatively easy thing to study, but there's a problem because what do you call a situation where you're in the beginning of your relationship – like mm-hmm. you just started dating. This was like 15 years ago and yeah, you had a commitment, but you know, it was the beginning of the relationship yeah. and you got together with an ex. Yeah. A lot of people will be like, I don't really consider that cheating because it was so long ago as the beginning of a relationship. In fact, me and my spouse, we broke up three years after that and we got back together. So I kind of re- reset the clock at that right. point. Um, or, uh, People going online and and masturbating with another person right. over over webcam or whatever. Right. Uh, some people consider that cheating. Some people don't. So or what, participating in an orgy, which is not for, at all cheating. For example, um, infidelity over a single year, men oh. and men and women. So you just ask right. people uh, the last. Hey, this last year, this last twelve months, have oh, you cheated? Have you cheated? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go twenty percent for men. Uh, no, uh, lower. Okay, good. I mean, that's good. Yeah. 5%. 5%. Okay. What about women? 4%. 5%. Okay. Uh, so this is evidence that again, with all the pressures yeah. to not do this, yeah, we still see a m- minority in each year, <laughs> yeah. but looks like yeah, most majority people have extra relationships. Now, again, when we, uh, under the definition that most anthropologists will look at when they're looking at a species is they will say, um, or, you know, animal study, people who study animals, they will look at, for example, uh, a primate and see, okay, well, there's some pair bonding, but in any uh, given span of time, uh, there's a pretty high likelihood that one of them will have sex with someone outside of yeah. that. So they will categorize that as not monogamous because given it's crazy, but uh, it's just a, I know you it's keep just saying a that, but you understand it's just a, it's just, it's just not very useful. Is it's what like I'm saying. saying, you know, I, I don't want to call curtains curtains. You okay. Know? But here's my example. Do humans follow laws? Yeah. Do you break a law ever? Yeah. 
I break laws all the time. Yeah. So we don't follow laws. Humans well, don't okay. follow laws. Humans okay. are naturally not a species that follows laws. Well, no. To be specific to your analogy, we would have two categories of people. We would call them law-abiding people. Who never break a law. Right. And we call people... But that's not useful. <laughs> right. So we, so have, I, so we saying, have to be specific. Right. I, I, fine. And if you're being specific, so the I will word look monogamy, at your paper. The word monogamy, in, unless you define it early in your argument, yes. is not a useful word yes. because you don't know what they're referring to. And it's important to do that because if I look at your paper and you're being specific, now I know that I can throw your paper in the garbage. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we haven't talked about hunter-gatherer societies yet. Right. So let's do that. So hunter-gatherer societies, uh, what do you think? Are they usually promiscuous or monogamous or polygamous or whatever? What do we usually see? Okay, with hunter-gatherers, they tended... Current. Oh, current. There are current hunter-gatherer Sure, sure. Societies. I'm probably going to still think the same way. So uh, you have to move around because uh, seasonality, animals move around. So you're, you're a nomad. Um. And because of that, you have to have some way to establish kind of tribal security as you're moving around. Uh, but you have to be flexible. So I'm going to go less monogamy. Than we see in, in our society, yes. like in Seattle. Yes. Uh, that's true. Okay. Uh, it depends on the undergathered society, but as a whole, on average, uh, they're usually a lot more promiscuous yeah. than us. And And the reason, part of the reason is like... It almost, it has to sustain itself if you are a society that is going to be like, no, 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 you can't look at her. No, 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 you, dude, but we're having, like, there's only 10 of us and we have to move around successfully. You know, it just doesn't seem, plus you got to reproduce and have successful reproduction. And uh, and also, you're also uh, a closer knit group. So... There's this societal upbringing of kids, so the monogamy part is not as useful for the upbringing of the kids. And so yeah. the speculation that uh, Christopher Ryan actually proposed in his book *Sex at Dawn*, which we'll get into a little bit later, but in a nutshell, is that hunter-gatherers were the way we all were. That's yeah. pretty undisputed um, in in the olden days, and only some of us are today. And so. When we look at that, we're like, okay, why are there differences in, in not only sexual behavior, but in attitudes? Yeah. Well, hunter-gatherer societies uh, tend to, like bonobos, not really care about resources because it's abundant. Now, we have this uh, bias that like hunter-gatherers had it hard and uh, agriculture made it easier because right. you get to grow your food. You don't have to go look for it. But that's a bias because we are an agricultural, you know, culture and we don't know how to hunt and gather anymore. <laughs> but hunting and gathering with, you know, especially when you consider low population volume in a particular region right. um, and nomadic lifestyle, you know, imagine it's just essentially what it was like is like your tribe was like, oh, we kind of dried up this grocery store yeah let's just you know walk a mile down the river right. boom a whole other grocery store just sitting there yeah. with just food just growing on the trees yeah. in the you know on the ground uh you know deer to shoot with your bow and arrow blah blah, blah. and so uh, the difficulties are just different right there's in fact one could argue that you probably just keep doing that indefinitely until one day you're like oh crap this the new grocery store is not replenished what are we going to do next season? Well, but at a certain population density, uh, by the time you get back to 
whatever region or a region that someone else has been, everything's grown back. Right. But then someone's like, well, you know how we've been seeing less resources? I've got an idea. We can kind of plant some of these resources. Right. And then that becomes more convenient for a bit, but it's, it's a lot of work, but in a different kind of way. Right. You can keep your settlements. And... Right. So there's certain convenience to yeah. it, for sure. And it allows for population yeah. uh, growth Ex- in a way explosion. that you can't do with, with hunting right. and gathering. But hunter-gatherer societies, there's abundant resources, and you don't have to work very long. Yeah. Uh, again, that's another misconception that, like, well, you, you must have to work, like, 24-7. Yeah. Hunt all day long. But that's actually the opposite. Yeah. Agri- agriculture work requires a lot more hours oh, toiling. Yeah. Um, Every day. (laughs) Yeah, than it does hunting and gathering. Imagine it's like you just walk, I don't know, like half a mile in one direction, and there's like an apple tree. There's some proto-carrots growing out of the (laughs) ground. There's like, you know, a couple rabbits that you, you know, kill, and then boom, you got your day's worth of calories. And you just did like an hour's worth of work. You yeah, know? this is the the meta story in the in the Old Testament is all about this, right? Like they were hunter gatherers, yeah, no Eden. care in the world, and then all of a sudden they screw up, and they're like, okay, now you got to work for it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that's interesting. One could say that uh, the knowledge, the tree of knowledge, and the apple was agriculture. Yeah. Was well, now you've got a you know bala anyway. So, yeah. so then. Uh, and so you don't have to, by extension, you don't have to own anything. Right. You don't have to own land because you can't own that. You also don't have to hoard your food. You don't have to. You right. don't have to own your food. So uh, that whole thing we were talking about the jealousy instinct and stuff. Right. Maybe you don't need as much of that. Right. It's like right. <gasps> they're getting to hunt. Oh wait, I am too. But they're getting to. Oh wait, I am also getting to eat. There's there's oh. that in these in these societies. You know, one of the phrases that will be a value is the richest. I can't remember the phrase, but it's like the richest man is the man who shares yeah. the his resources right, because right. you you garner all these favors, yeah. you know, cooperation. Mm-hmm. When when you are sick and you can't hunt, you, you get to repay. Yeah. Everyone wins when when you give you you know, or no, the safest place to to store your food for the winter is in someone else's stomach. Oh, right, right. Bird in hand is like the stone that gathers no agriculture. Right. So. Because you have a psychology and a society oriented towards sharing and and resource abundant, abundance and cooperation, it, it extends into sexuality yeah. in that you don't have to own your woman or your man, right. uh, not even necessarily your kids. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna take care of all the kids in the village, yeah. well then other people will take care of your kids by extension, right? And so you don't need to even know if they're your kids. So That's you right. don't need to make sure that you're, uh, that the women don't have sex with other people because it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's more like uh, a worker bee. And I don't mean this dismissively. I just mean like a worker bee is not worried about their specific genetic offspring. They care about the hive. Mm-hmm. And so like in this case, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, our tribe's important. Right. Us staying together and surviving. That's important. Right. And so as we head into agriculture, we, we headed into this society. And again, this is, again, strong speculation. Sure. Is, or sort of believable speculation in a certain crowd of people, is that we went to agriculture. Now we have land that yeah. is yours because you can't, uh, and because it's hard 
to grow enough food for you for the entire year because you're not, you know, moving around. Uh, and resources are actually not very abundant right. uh, in terms of agriculture in the beginning. You had to work really hard to get just enough food, uh, which is like, why did we decide to go that direction? But anyway, um, and now you've got to start hoarding. And now you need people to work your fields, right. which is your kids. Um, and when you die, who gets the land? You can't just give it to all of them because it'll just be you know, further subdivided and, you know, only one person can yeah. get, can get the farm. The rest of them have to fuck off, you know, right. and figure out something else. Um, plus there are decisions that have to be made, you know, about us. So you need one person. Well, uh, at some point there's like, well, the taller person, the, yeah. the, 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 the father, because in hunter gatherer societies, they're not particularly, pa- you know, patriarchal. Yeah. And so the father now becomes the one owner of this land. Yeah. And by extension, the owner of the, of everything on it, including the human beings on it. And because the protection is now so physical of that land, men are advantaged. Right. So society sends, okay, men have power, they can vote, they, you know, they can kill their wife if they want to. Whereas hunter gatherer societies, that wouldn't make any sense. It's like, don't kill her. Like she's a part of our, we (laughs) need her. She's a part of our hunting and gathering labor. She's also part of our child rearing and protection. She's also part of our like social circle. Like she has value. Whereas in a agricultural society, the woman, her only value is pumping out labor. Yeah. And, and so you can replace that. It's and, 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 and with the certain, so then we start to develop jealousy. So the uh, ownership and anger (laughs) and war over territory and we, everything we have today. So another example there, the, um, so the Abel character in Cain and Abel was uh, a hunter and a, and a shepherd. You know, you keep bringing up these examples and they're actually pretty astute, you know, to point out. It's just like, cause it is a, it's a speculation that, you know, early old Testament stories, you know, they were passed down, eventually written down. Yeah. Genesis early, you know, books in the old Testament. And you got to wonder like, was there some legacy knowledge of right? that that earlier time pre agriculture that people still passed down? You know, because yeah, it like, actually wasn't that far. Because agriculture <laughs> is something like ten thousand years ago, yeah. and Genesis as a as a story a stories, like was, three five thousand, yeah, something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't have been that much of a stretch. Yeah, Plus, I mean, I, agriculture <laughs> wouldn't have happened to everyone all at once. It could have been like slow, right? And, and especially considering that. By you know, by by our modern standards, a thousand years is a ridiculous amount of time. Right. Uh, but when you're not really tracking time, it's more like you're learning through word of mouth what the tribe is telling you, and just you grow up and you impart that same verbatim word of mouth. Generations go by, and you don't care how many generations have gone by. That's the knowledge you have, right. and it's very possible that that sort of Communal gestalt was, uh, you know, at some point it was kind of the the good old days, right? Like, uh, sort of wish we still had more berries around here. And then over the generations, it becomes, you know, there was this man or this beast or this thing. And eventually it's like this God and this thing and the right. other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're not the first to speculate <laughs> right, this. Right, of course but, not. No, I, I've, I've, I've heard this a billion times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's very interesting that... But I'm just saying it's a very worthy speculation. I just don't want to claim, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to claim it as, our, as ours. Oh, no, definitely. Um, okay, so getting back to hunter-gatherer societies in terms of my notes here. So... They, when we observe them, they almost always allow for more than one spouse, either, you know, uh, a woman having 
several men or a, a man having several women. Also, female extramarital sexual relationships are much more common and, and much more accepted. So when women have sex outside of the pair bond, uh, it's, it's not seen as necessarily a bad thing, and it's, and it's done more often. Right. Also, uh, and here's an interesting finding, was that there's variation among hunter-gatherer societies, and as in a, in a, on a spectrum where you have on one side uh, females having a lot of extramarital relationships, and at the other spectrum, you, at the other end, you have females not having a lot of extramarital um, the the which which side is more aggressive? Do you think? Oh yeah, so male the, aggression of of the males in, along that spectrum. Right, right, right. Well, I would imagine that if the if the females, the, let me put it this way: the more the control is on the female side, the less male aggression. Right. So it's hard to know exactly the yeah. the vector of cause, but they observe that when women are having more extra pair bonding relationships, sexual relationships, you see less male aggression, similar to bonobos. Which is the, and I don't want, anyways, I won't caveat anything because I I think it's obvious where I would stand on this, but uh, I think a lot of the incel community rallies around these concepts. It says, you see, if they just throw sex our way, things would be so much easier and we wouldn't have to be so violent and aggressive. Well, they're not wrong, but it doesn't justify of course. Uh, bad behavior. Of course, of course. Um, and in these societies, the women don't throw sex. Uh, they <laughs> allow for social relationships to build yeah. where the sex is natural. Yeah. Um, for example, around the world, there is a Masuo culture in southern China. Men and women are allowed to have sex with you know, whoever they want in general more so than mm. we are you know in in Seattle do and jealousy is a lot less uh present and it's actually culturally frowned upon oh. so when a woman has sex with another man outside of marriage because they do have marriage in in this yeah. culture the uh and the males like hey you know people around them like hey, hey what yeah calm down calm down dude y- your wife had sex with another man grow up you cuck <laughs> Native cultures in, in South America, uh, women are, there's some native cultures in South America, women are allowed to have more sex uh, with other people, and there's more uncertainty regarding who the father is. Don't I know it. And culture allows for multiple quote-unquote fathers. So in, in these societies, it's like people, men, don't necessarily know who the father is. They're like, well, one of the five of us are the father of that kid. And... So we're all going to call each other the father because they don't have paternity tests, right? right. So they uh, – and there's probably less variation in terms of morphology to identify like, like will you look like yeah. that dad? And so – Let me but, just say there are, there are tribes of little Umberticos running around in the Andes Mountains as we speak. Because you are part native South that's America. That's right. Maybe that's the part of you. <laughs> um, okay. So like bonobos, most of our sexual activity is not for reproduction. Um I have this in my notes. If you know, we were basically saying this before, but you know, if aliens observed our behavior um, the way we observe other other animals, they would conclude that sex for us was clearly for pleasure and or for bonding. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, like they'd actually might be like, wait, 
How do they reproduce? Right. <laughs> so in the U.S., adult humans, my back of the napkin uh, estimate, they have sex about 3,000 times in their lifetime on okay. average. It's something like that. Um, what about the front of the napkin? And <laughs> and uh, missionary napkin. Um, and average how many kids per couple? Uh, 2.5. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something like two-ish. Uh, yeah, 2.5. Um, what percentage of the time was sex for reproduction then? <laughs> well, you said 3,000. Uh, how many years are we talking? I mean, I, whatever. I'm just going to say like 2%. <laughs> yeah. So basically, virtually never. Not, yeah, virtually never. Sex in the United States is virtually never for, <laughs> for, repro- for reproduction. Now, some people, it might take them 30 times to get pregnant, sure, maybe sure, more, sure. but on average, okay. Now, but you're like, well, hey, we have contraception now. But before you had con- contraception, the numbers wouldn't have been that different. You still probably had sex maybe even more than 3,000 times because sure. there wasn't a lot to do at night. And, and, then, you, and you had maybe <laughs> 10 children. And a functionalist might argue, wait, 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 wait. You wouldn't have had the second child if you hadn't kept having non-reproductive sex. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's all fine. You know, this is all back of the napkin yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. But clearly, the uh, the uh, we, we wouldn't say that uh, in the olden days people had sex ten times and had ten right, kids. Right. Like, uh, if you know, <laughs> plus our species, we're not we don't go into heat like other animals yeah. do. So there's no way to there's very little, very little indication that a that a woman is in estrus. There are some indications, yeah. but very little. And and so, whereas you look at other species, and it's extremely obvious, like their, you know, their rump becomes bright red, and yeah. and and so big that they have to walk hunched over and ready to go. You know what I mean? Whereas humans, it's like there's slight pheromones and little yeah. smells and little behavior changes, but and the mole things. <laughs> yeah, but but wait, but it is true that it used to be. You know, because there was no contraception, it used to be more common where people would have, you know, 15 children. Um, And, you know, just because it takes nine months to give birth, that's 17 years, you know, nearly 20 years worth of every time we had sex, we basically got pregnant. Right. Well, every time we could have well, sex. Well, every time we could have sex and get pregnant, we got pregnant. We 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 had sex enough times <laughs> yeah. to get pregnant because you'd have yeah. to have sex randomly. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so <laughs> the other thing here is that a lot of human sexual activity doesn't involve penis and vagina. No. So you have, you know, oral and, and same, same sex Holy activity, uh, heavy petting, <laughs> you know, uh, masturbation. Uh, a lot of human sexual activity is not possible to reproduce right. from. And people enjoy all those other forms of sexual activity. Again, the, the contrarian might point out, I know, but you can't get to the reproduction one without the foreplay one. But a lot of people, quote unquote, only do foreplay. For a few years until they reproduce. <laughs> uh, you know, one could argue that lesbian sex is all "quote unquote" foreplay. Do you understand? Sure, it's, sure. But it's not foreplay. Sure. It's it's sure. the play. So, to uh, a study by Meston and Bus, two thousand seven, found that there were two hundred and thirty seven reasons why humans have sex. <laughs> what are some of them? <laughs> they're hungry. <laughs> no, they're bored. They are okay. in close proximity. 
Uh, they're under stressful situations. Okay. They are upset at each other. They're happy with each other. They're related to each other. They're not really. I don't know. I, mean, I like, like you're not getting any of the the main ones. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they they uh, they find each other attractive, and they just met. Okay. Um, they are in love with each other. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm surprised it took you that long. I mean, I mean like 237. They'll they'll probably throw like they smelled like. But fish. I'm just saying, like you brought all the dregs, and not like because they love each other. How about that sure. one? Sure. Okay. So so the so to to be systematic, I'll I'll give the list of the the main sort of categories: to feel love, to express love, to bond, yeah. to, to feel commitment, uh, self esteem boost. Or because of duty, or because of pressure, or mate guarding, or stress reduction, as you said, pleasure, to feel desirable, experience seeking, social status, revenge, and reproduction, yeah. and many more. So for humans and bonobos, sex clearly evolved as a communication of some sort. How much, how often, but sex is a way that we communicate to other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, revenge, uh, that I love you, that I'm dedicated to you. You know, if, when when my dog feels insecure, he gives me a worried face. He puts yeah. his tail down. He whines. Yeah. All dogs do this for the most part. For a human or a bonobo, when they become insecure, one of the instincts is to seek sex with particularly, I guess, yeah. your romantic partner as a way of communicating look i'm a little insecure can you make can you reassure me so we all can understand that and again how much of it is an instinct how often did we do that in comparison to other signaling to other people for reassurance it's hard to know but we clearly have that in our background you know because otherwise we wouldn't probably exhibit it at all you know what i mean right but and at the same time i wonder so imagine if again the aliens right and they start jotting down their notes and they're like, okay, I think I've got a conclusion. Humans have clearly evolved to use their, their index finger to rapidly tap on a little kind of dark uh, cube or, or rectangle. And while they're staring at photons flashing oh in their light. I thought this was sexual until <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like... Clitorises aren't cute. They're not a cube shape. What are you talking about? No, but and they're not necessarily dark. The aliens are like realizing, okay, humans evolved to uh, tap on things while they're looking at photons that are irradiating yeah. really quickly in front so, of their so eyes. So be clear, Bruno's talking about a mouse of a computer and, and, and a, yeah. a video game. Yeah. And well, no, uh, we evolved for pleasure, kind of seeking reward, because uh, that might mean it's good food that we're eating, or we're breathing fresh oxygen, or we got clean in a nice river. And so we, we evolved this kind of pleasure reward cycle. And then it turns out that we also evolved to look at colors and be like, that might be interesting fruit, and ooh, that might be a predator. So now all of a sudden, we're, we're flashing these things, and it's rewarding us. We're kind of hijacking those original systems. So similarly, and in a modern... And to be clear, there's nothing in the natural history of our species that looks anything like playing a video game. Exactly. Yeah. But in the modern world where we're like, uh, we have the same hormonal triggers to feel like, ooh, I feel I need to reproduce. But then it's like, well, I don't have to reproduce, it turns out, because I got this little plastic thing I can put on. Plus, I've got this little porn I can watch. Plus, I got... All of a sudden, the, the need is still there because ultimately the species is trying to reproduce. 
But the outlet looks like all sorts of different things. Well, so I want to also point out that the experts will say that we evolved clearly a instinct and a need to reproduce just like any other species that reproduces through sex. Uh, So that's clear. But like bonobos, we also evolved and adopted sex as a way Mm. of socializing. Right, right, right. Uh, That that seems to be clear as well. And and so in the same way that when, um, you know, our social instincts adopted things that uh, were useful. So, for example, for uh, a non-social lizard, they, like all other animals, have a pain response. And so if they were to be on a hot plate or you were to stab their tail, they would feel pain and they would wince and they would run. There, you know, there's, there would be a, a there would be yeah. a pain receptor that tells the brain you're, that hurt. Uh, there would be an automatic reaction to pull away and then there would be an evaluation like get away from that, from that source of pain. So, you know, most, if not all animals have that, have that in our, in our neuronal, you know, instincts and, and psychology and the, you know, we're born with that. Right out of the womb, we, we can feel pain. Well, uh, we didn't come from species back in the day that had a different system of, of motive. So, that, so that's a system of motivation. Yep. So you have pain and it motivates you to get away from the pain. You need to have a negative experience and then right. it motivates you to get away from that pain. Okay, so uh, we didn't uh, evolve from a species that had a whole other set of, of motivation uh, mechanisms that had, a, that had a different set for socializing. So as we started to develop into a social uh, species, primates and other mammals, we adopted that pain response as a way of motivating us to socialize. And so when sure. we were hurt or rejected or left alone or someone dies, we actually feel that pain. That's why our heart breaks. That's right. why we feel that that sort of um, hard sort of sh- like a stab in the heart. Mm. We'll be like, oh, that person stabbed me in the back. Sure, and there's sure. all these metaphors. And it's not for metaf- – it's not a metaphor. We feel – Right. Physical pain, whether it registers consciously or not, there's a physical pain, and then we're like, oh, my God, this hurts so much, and yeah. you're crying, and you're like, oh, you know, cringeworthy. That's why when we're watching— The brain's, like, simulating right. physical pain for We're you. simulating, uh, we, uh, the, you know, being stabbed or being poked yeah. at by a bear or something. Right. And so it makes us motivate us to avoid that. So, so in the same way— um, we also had sex, you know, right. that was for reproduction. And it it seems that uh, other species that are not social would uh, feel pleasure when they have sex. You know, right. there's a motivation if, you know, the same way that uh, fish and salmon probably get a little uh, shot of, of pleasure hormones <laughs> in their brain when they eat something yes. that they like. They probably have the same thing when they, you know, uh, spoo on top of a pile of eggs. You know, That's it's, right. we don't know that for sure, yeah. but the, the prop stands to reason. There's a there's a pleasure like go over there and and mate with that other yeah. you know creature because it's going to feel good, you know, and and it's and it's not going to feel bad. And and so we had that mechanism which made sense. But then as we became social, it's like, well, how do, okay, we can motivate people away from from rejecting the tribe by we'll, right. we'll give them physical pain. Well, how do we motivate? This is again, yeah. uh, evolution, you know, adopting things in random chance, but uh, eventually evolution went in this direction where it's like, well, for those people who get, uh, uh, who 
have a an urge when they want to bond mm-hmm. for the purpose of uh, st- being together all the time so that right. you can protect your child and share resources and maybe even have sex with with people in your tribe to kind of smooth things over we develop this instinct is just like, I want to have sex with that person. Right. I want to have sex with that person. I want to have sex with, with that same sex person, because even though it's not reproduction, this is, this is not conscious. This is unconscious. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's just like, we get selected for this urge to have sex with a lot of people, even though most of the time it has nothing to do with reproduction. Yeah, did, se- I, did I make any sense? Yes, you did. Okay. Because sex was the original video game. So, like, now this is happening with more uh, abstract ways, right? Like, for example, people socialize with video games. People, you know, they retreat into a video game. They feel socially awkward, so they go play a video game. They feel like they want to meet up with their friends online and things like that. And But they're still just rewarding, you know, dopamine reward. Oh, interesting. So so that uh, also, I guess what I would say is that, you know, we originally – so – 50 years ago we socialized in person right and then we developed this thing called a video game yeah. and at first it was to do in isolation to do yeah. by yourself or something and, and and but then eventually we started using video games to socialize right even though it's original design was not to socialize yeah. it, it was something you did by yourself yeah, just an individual challenge but we still have a need to socialize and so right. it just becomes adopted into that yeah. way of communicating and so the same way yeah. that, that sex yeah. did okay so there's other evidence. There's a lot of evidence, and these are things that um, we've heard on the internet as well. Is there's evidence that females were promiscuous, and this is a subset of the evidence that humans are promiscuous. So, do you know the different evidence, so to speak, that females in particular were promiscuous? Nope. Well, when I say them, you'll remember them. Okay. Um, so, it, what time frame? Like fossil record time. Like 300,000 years ago. Yeah, okay. Like there are certain parts of our anatomy that will tell us. Anyway, so – but before I go into the evidence, I'll say why – why do you think it would benefit if a species had females that were promiscuous? Well, I mean in in our case, like the uh, (laughs) – because the the females have such few – options um human females have such few options for the reproduction happening successfully you would think it would be to their advantage to try with more mates right you know right so it increases increases the odds of getting pregnant yeah also potential paternal care from from multiple males yeah so if if three males think they're the father (laughs) then they're more you're more likely to get more three yeah uh what do you call um child support payments right (laughs) Uh, it also avoids inbreeding within the tribe because uh, you get uh, – it's more likely that non-inbreeding, inbred children will survive. And blah, sure. blah. It also strengthens social bonds and you're better able to evaluate male quality through experience. So if you have sex with only one man, then you don't know, is this the good man in the tribe right, or is this right. the bad man in the tribe? Right. Um, okay. So so those are the benefits to it. Um, and – uh, and we talked about earlier, the hunter-gatherers seem to, when you have sex, more promiscuous sex, people tend to like each other more, and they tend to be less competitive with each other, and they tend to cooperate more. But anyway, so one of the interesting things about humans and other primates is that when females and males are having sex, they will vocalize. Mm. Mm. So oh. it just, you know, we all know that, you know, yeah. from at least porn. I go, Gucci, Gucci, Gucci! That... 
that there's a compulsion to uh, make vocalizations while you're having sex. And to us, it just seems like, well, you know, it's just something that humans do, but, you know, other animals will do it too. And why, you know, why would we evolve an instinct to announce something's happening? You know, when we drink water, we don't go like, I'm drinking water or blah, 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 you know, <laughs> or when you decide to go to sleep, you don't go like, ha, 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 sleep time, you know. I mean, I guess some people do, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of animal behavior, why do you think humans and other primates would have the females and maybe the males make noise and announce to everyone around them that they're having sex? Okay, okay. I see, because I'm thinking... I was initially thinking of just like the couple, but you're thinking, well, in a society... Or other, you know, sure, do both. Okay, so in the couple case, um, that might indicate, hey, this is working. Good. Right? So that's absolutely a speculation. Yeah. You know. And then in the more like you're communally, like you're doing it, but others are there listening or whatever, that might be like, hey, FYI, everyone, like we're busy here, so don't like bother us. Don't okay. hit us. Don't knock us over. Good. So, so your speculation is human centric and yeah. cultural centric because it uh, exhibits the bias towards monogamy, essentially, at least for that moment, right? Because it makes sense. It's like, but when we actually, but the experts, what they'll say is that vocalizations is evidence of what chimps do, which is when a, a female is an estrus, uh, she has sex with several males. Right. And the vocalizations announce uh, open for business. Ah, sure. That sure. Let's, let's go. Like, hey, FYI, I'm having fun here. Anyone else? Right. Uh, open for business, dudes. If if you're yeah. if you want to get in on this, like now's the time. Running a two for one special. Right. Now, now, um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that, I could see that. because I was thinking about it more from the perspective of uh, the hey, this is working. As in, this might lead to conception, as opposed to. You can imagine if like like if it's not really in the right hole or if it's not working or something like it's not pleasurable and so it's like uh this is not working. We might not get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And that, that absolutely could be. Like you're just trying to communicate to the person you're having sex with. Yeah. Uh now in other when they actually look at other primates, they find that the primates with louder vocalizations don't necessarily have more partners. So it's not really clear. Oh. If the you know, so so <laughs> too much advertisement. Hey, yeah. hey, look at me! <laughs> God, I'm just trying to play checkers over here. Like, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> my, you just vocalized earlier. <laughs> uh, but it is interesting. You know, it, some people will point to this as evidence. It's hard to know. Also, female sex fantasies, often humans, often involve group sex and even rape. Right. So why? So that seems to be evidence that uh, we evolved as a species to uh, prefer a a certain amount of women who prefer uh, there to be multiple males Mm. and dominant males. You know, the rape fantasies, in essence, are not uh, rape rape fantasies. Very few people have fantasies about actual rape. Most of the rape fantasies involve, like, a very persistent male who very much wants to have sex with you. The Fifty Shades of Grey kind of rape. Right. And they don't wait for consent, but you basically do consent deep down. That's usually what the fantasy involves. The James Bond kind of rape. Right. And, the well, yeah, it's hard to know which category that's in because there's some scenes in James Bond where it's just like, nope, that was just rape. Like yeah. there, There's a scene in um, 
uh, Majesty with Love or, you know, what the one with that. Her Majesty's Secret Service. No, the maybe. Is that the one with uh, George, George La- Lazenby? Yeah, yeah, there's a scene George Lazenby just just grabs, or no, what, am I thinking, anyway, Goldfinger, can't remember which one it was, but um, so, now, uh, this is evidence, maybe, yeah. that since this turns women on, that stands to reason, maybe that's a echo from the past in terms of the sort of thing that uh, women 200,000 years ago actually sought. Um, and it would make sense that if they did seek it, that they would fantasize about it today. Maybe hard to know. Also, another uh, evidence or that- Or brutally, that since women were raped and brutalized for hundreds of thousands of years, genetically their offspring were- uh, <laughs> Well, right. It would have selected for females that were at least like- uh, in their mind, they'd be like, well, okay, you know, I'll go along with this. Um, but there doesn't seem to be evidence of that, you know, because that's, yeah. that's the common thing that they will point to. It's yeah. like they'll point to harems and polygamy as like, oh, we must have been like gorillas yeah. in the past, whereas one strong male and several females. And, uh, and the consent of sex, you know, probably wasn't, you know, it's a very common uh, trope, especially 40 years ago, where you had a guy who would bonk the woman over the head, yeah. drag her back to the cave and, and rape her essentially. And, uh, but when we look at hunter gatherer societies, which are probably analogous to the way we were, it's the opposite. You know, we tend to look through to history with our lens, our bias and lens. They're like, well, men are powerful. You know, they, they like to be masculine, but actually in the past, cavemen were less quote unquote masculine in terms of our society today than we yeah. are. Sure. You know, we're we're more caveman like in terms of the the stereotype sure. than cavemen were. Yeah, yeah. Per, per, yeah, possibly. Uh it's just it could be that for 50,000 years it's been agriculturally based, you know. But the hunter-gatherers today who descended from non-agricultural societies sure. tend to exhibit way more non-masculine traits. Yeah, yeah. Again, hard to know, like you said, we don't yeah. know cuz we don't have a time machine. Um Many women can have multiple orgasms and don't experience a refractory period. So this is evidence that, you know, for some, that women were promiscuous mm. in that, you know, women, men tend to uh, have one orgasm and tend to have a refractory period of, you know, 30 to six s- months, 30 to, 30 to 60 minutes or something. Um, and also men oh, tend. It's, not, it's, it's funny, too. Basically, I could see this like they all line up. They have sex. The man comes and falls asleep. So now he's not aggressive or fighting with the other men. The next one goes, falls asleep. And so at the end, all the men are asleep. The woman's still like, okay, next. <laughs> right. I mean, in essence, that's the hypothesis. Right. We don't know. But the hypothesis is like, well, women have an easier time with uh, orgasming and, and keeping going, whereas men don't. And so that in terms of one model you look at, it's like that. that that's, that's 10 men. Yeah. Uh, to one woman in one session. You know? It fits the chimp model. Yeah. Uh, also, penis size. So what what do you know about penis size and the speculation as to our relative monogamy or not? Um, I don't know. Oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. So, so you know, humans gorillas, have larger penises right. than other primates on, you know, proportionally, let's say. Well, like gorillas have small penises. Right, right, right. Uh, so I think the buffer you are, the less you need to have a large penis is the point. <laughs> well, well and, and why? I mean, that is partially partially related. Uh, well, I mean, the gorilla doesn't have to compete. The silverback competes physically. Right. 
And if they're the toughest in the playground, they get the females. Right. So, period. Right. So the gorilla, uh, the way that they operate sexually is that the the dominant, you know, in largeness and muscliness has something to do with dominance, will uh, basically just get a few females. And if anyone comes around, he kicks their ass. Right. So he has exclusive sexual rights, so we speak, so to speak, with with the females under his uh, reign. Uh, so his penis doesn't have to be big. It, it just it, and so we're always trying to optimize our resource expenditure because um, there's if there's no need to have a big penis, you don't want to waste resources making a big penis. But there was a different uh, hypothesis or something I had heard, and because you know, like, why do horses have huge dicks? <laughs> it's because they need the. No, but it's because the phys- physiologically, they just can't get a small penis in to a female horse the way they fuck. Because, like, one big beast gets on top of the other, you just gotta reach all the way in and stuff like that. Uh, humans have long ass legs and very different ways to copulate. And so, um, it- it's harder. It- but, you know, like gorillas have short little legs and all these kind of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> good. And, we, uh, if we were like gorillas, we could get by with much smaller penises. We, it would, it would not be, uh, but you see my point with the horses, like horses with small penises couldn't reproduce. Right. But we are physiologically extremely close to gorillas. One, we can have sex from behind the the way that like the horses. Like, right. And the way gorillas do. Yeah. But but the difference is in the length of the legs. Right, but you get my point that uh, we're physiologically we can get by with small penises and still impregnate people. Yeah, but, but it's horses harder. can't. Be. It's harder. But if you own the female, so to speak, the way a gorilla does, and you don't impregnate on the first try, you get to have sex with that female okay. over and over and over again. So you don't need okay. to waste resources on on longer penises. Okay. So the speculation, and when you look at other species, because we're not gorillas and horses and humans aren't the only measure. Yeah. You look at lots of different species, and longer penises are associated with more promiscuous females, because you're competing to get your sperm. Uh, closer, closer the than the than the next guy. Sure, and so there's this uh, arms race of uh, you. You have a selection for bigger and bigger penises. You know because right. it makes sense, right? Um, hard to know, but also there's some pretty good evidence there. Because if we if we had very small penises, uh, like gorillas compared to our body size and all that kind of stuff, then that would you I know. I still think this it. is the same thing I'm saying because. Take my take my my path here, because the goal is like they're trying to get pregnant, right? Physiologically, they're trying to get pregnant, mm-hmm. and they're like having sex with these dudes, and that dude kind of put it in, but like it didn't go in very far, so the sperm didn't get very far. The other one, it went in further. Got so I see what you're saying, which is but like, why would gorillas have small penises? Gorillas have gorillas have a penis about the size of of our pinky. Yeah, and. Gorillas are gigantic compared yeah. to us. Yeah, so, yeah. Com- you know, compared to their body size, they have like the size of like. And, a, and what I'm saying is that. So why would because, they have small? Because penises? they 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 don't fail at reproduction. That that physiology does not prevent them. Yeah. Now your point is that because they get to try more. Right. And that could be. That, that is why. Be. That is why they 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 
they can try more often and there's no competition or very little competition. That's why they have smaller penises. I, I just I just figured like yeah, I guess so. I just figured- physiology has very little there there are lots of different penises in the animal kingdom. And they almost always reflect some kind of selection like duck penises for example. Yeah. There's an arms race between the the female quote unquote vagina, uh, they don't call it the vagina and you know where the sperm goes and the male penis and they have these bizarre penises if you ever want to see watch a youtube video if you haven't seen about the duck penis it it looks like it's as almost as long as the duck is maybe longer and it's shaped like this alien feathery thing that it's not it's not one direction it's like several things you know because uh from what i understand male ducks are routinely essentially raping the female ducks and the female duck uh, because they are frequently overpowered effectively by the males their only defense against because you know it makes sense that the female would would want to you know would be selected for choice in terms of like okay that male is a good male to allow me to impregnate me they have all these dead ends in their quote-unquote vagina and and their vagina is is very long. It, it's, yeah. it's, it, and so the uh, so there's this arms race, and so the the shape of the phallus of the penis reflects that uh, that behavioral uh, you know pattern. And so with with longer penises among primates, we see so all of our primate cousins that have longer penises. It tends to be, if not universally, I'm not quite sure, associated with uh, promiscuous females. Okay. I just, I, I, I find it odd that the body shape would play no role because it does like, play a role. You know what I mean? It does play a role. Like, for example, uh, there are other animals that have penises that are basically, you can't even see them. Right. Because the physiology allows yeah. for there to yeah. be. Um, uh, you know, transfer of sperm yeah, yeah. without, you know, so that, so the, the gorilla has a penis that has to be long enough, yeah. but it, but it doesn't, but it's doesn't, it's not longer than it needs to be. That's the whole thing. Yeah. I guess the, the way I was thinking about it is if you think of like a male and a female standing up and then having, trying to have sex like doggy style, right? If their legs don't align, like no, the penis the, has to be longer. <laughs> but you're thinking about sex that you like. So well, no, all, or, all you have to do is get sperm into the vagina. It doesn't have to be satisfactory in terms of in your head. You know what well, I mean? No, but no, no. I'm not talking about pleasure. I'm talking about successful impre- uh, insemination. Right. right? So you can successfully impregnate a woman, even though we're even but though it's women, harder, maybe. But if you had multiple chances, you know what I mean. Plus, sure. the the reason why the vagina is longer is because the the penis has elongated you know they elongated together you know what i mean and so if women if male if humans had small penises the vagina would be much uh, shorter and the the uterus would be much closer to yeah, the but entrance see, this is this is where you would have to be making my point because why would it get longer if it didn't have to because of competition between males but but the competition is so let me walk you through it. So you have 10 males having sex with the same female. Right. And this is back in the days when our penises were half as long. Sure. It was probably even a distant relative to to uh, chimps and bonobos. Right. You know? 
Um, so you uh, you have ten males having sex with the same female, and uh, the and they have sex within the same you know half an hour period of time. I don't know right. whatever. And uh, each of the males has a different penis size, ranging from you know X to Y. Right. Y being the higher one. Well, the the penises at the Y end of the spectrum are slightly at an advantage in terms of impregnating the female. Uh, so the next generation of of males all have penises that are between um, at the higher end of that, that spectrum, and so there's this new spectrum and new variation of penis sizes that is that the bell curve has now gone up the scale in terms of length. And now the vagina gets longer because it needs to, you know, sort of move away from the from the sign uh, from the. <laughs> I've never had this conversation before, so yeah. the words are. But you know, uh, for those, you know, and again, biologists would have a problem with this. See, language, this is but, this is you don't like conclusions about cause and effect with genetics and psychology. And this is what I'm saying is like, you can't prove the chicken or the egg here. It could be that as our body started elongating, we started walking upright, the uterus got started moving up in the body, and that necessitated longer penises to be able to make it all the way in. I'm not saying that's wrong. Right? I could be. So it didn't, That's the first thing you've said that's made sense. But well, but you were attributing it to... I'm not attributing it to... I'm saying this is the hypothesis. The, the, uh, the uh, and this promiscuity. Is when the, yeah, and when they look at other when they right. look at other primates, which mm-hmm. also have sex face to face, by the way, mm-hmm. other primates have sex face to face. So you know, every sexual position we do, they do, right. um, and they see a correlation between promiscuity and penis size. Okay, and that that's that's stronger. Okay, so the fact is that they've <laughs> that's seen what this. I said at the beginning. Okay, not to be argumentative, <laughs> sure. but 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 that's what I said. But you know, your point is well taken. It just isn't. It just doesn't discount. You know the. Yeah. What I believe to be the strong evidence when you actually look at the the other species of primates in particular, and really all mammals. Um, I just always always imagine like because there's also other things about our bodies that are weird, like um, you know why are why are mammals a lot of them our testicles are outside? Why well, are okay? Why do know, you think that is? It's for the heat, right? It's mostly for the heat. Yeah, yeah. But there's variation in primates in terms of. How far? How big? Sure. This? How big the scrotum is? How far this? The, you know, the testes are away from the right. body. Like, there's variation. Why, why do you think that is? Because well, I mean, like, I'm imagining a gorilla generates a ton more heat in the inside their body than we do, and their their testes would be further away from their body. You would think so, but they're yeah. not. They're a lot closer. Okay, so that disproves that. <laughs> right. So why do you think then? Now that you know that data point. Um, I don't know because all I've ever heard is that the testes are away from the body for, to regulate the heat. Yeah. So uh, the further the testes are away from the body, the more sperm it can produce. Sure. Because sperm uh, needs to, for I don't understand why, it's this yeah. cruel joke that God played on men, <laughs> um, that it needs to be hanging outside the body. I always wonder, it's like, like no other organ has to, you know, like the penis has to be outside the body because it has a purpose. But, you know, my kidneys aren't hanging outside my body, be, you know. And of course, the the biologists will say, well, the reason why the kidneys are outside the body is because they don't function when it's warm. Well, yeah. every other organ managed to keep up with the temperature regulation system. What about the testes? Why the goddamn testicles have to... Oh, so are you saying that gorillas don't need to generate as much sperm? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. So... Sure. When you have more uh, female promiscuity, you have you have no. species that have more sperm. 
but again, like the testes are outside the body in the first place to to keep the temperature down so that there's more or less sperm, right? right. In this case, the the gorilla doesn't have to have as much sex, be, or sorry, doesn't need as much sperm because they have a more guaranteed mate, right? right? So then the testes shrink back up, right? Right. So you, but but it's, but then, which one came first? <laughs> right, because like. It could be that they got really buff because they had testes closer to the body, so they needed to guarantee that their females didn't get, you know. It, well, could be. I mean, and the 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 to get in the the higher philosophical argument of when we talk about these things, we tend to talk about you know because this this right, yeah, yeah. but it's random mutation of g- genes sure. that tends to survive to the next generation the, and yeah. and so uh the way you just phrase that is quote unquote you know accurate because sure. there the there's no way of determining because there's no there's no thinking man behind the design so there's of there's correlation between there's there's been observed correlation between female promiscuity and penis size and primates and, and, then, and sperm count and sperm count and which came first and why and and blah 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 that that's what's hard to know but that's the observed correlation so when we look at ourselves imagine 300,000 years ago you know like an like here's an analogy um or a thought experiment aliens come to the planet 300,000 years ago and they start cataloging all the animals but after a while they're like well we don't want to have to observe every animal let's mm-hmm. look for heuristics to follow so they get to the primates and they they don't see humans yet and they're like okay well there's just seems to be a correlation with bigger penises you know lower testicles right. more sperm count you know tends to uh, and then we observe more promiscuity for the females meaning that when they're in estrus they have sex with a lot more males right and smaller penises the opposite and then they you know they stumble across humans and they're like okay well we we must know what they do yeah. because of all the the two hundred other right. primate species have told us pretty clear correlations. We know what humans are doing because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's essentially what we're doing. We're, we're, but they don't know. The aliens don't know. They, they haven't observed the humans, but they could make some pretty good educated guesses. And right. so that's what we're doing. We're looking at all the other primates and we're going, well, we have all the correlation. If we fit ourselves into the spectrum of penis size, scrotum, uh, vagina, uh, also body differences between male and female, which I'll get to in yeah. a second. Then, in all likelihood, we looked like chimps and bonobos, which is you know multiple partners for everybody, men, right. and, men and women. Right. But we don't know that because okay. And then and then here's a counter view: is uh, hey, we're looking at humans. They seem to pair bond with like mostly one person for a while. Um. So at the same time, it looks like the the female can only conceive like in certain very narrow situations and. Once they're pregnant, they're pregnant for like a year. So they can't have like more babies during that time. Man, so that must be why they're trying to guarantee biologically that it's going to work. So that that tends to explain why they have higher sperm count, uh, penis that can go in as far as it can to get the sperm as close to the egg as possible, why they seem to be horny all the time. You, You see, like they could observe the humans and conclude these conclusions from the fact that we don't have that many tries at it. But, <laughs> uh, yes, but you understand what I'm saying is that 
when we look at primates right. today, right, right, right. and we yeah. and we measure the penis, right, right, and right. we count the amount of partners they have. Oh, totally. No, like if the aliens a, watched a, the primates, then they might be like, "Oh, wait a minute, no, 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 no." There seems to be another trend here. Right. The humans seem to subvert that trend because of their society. But blah 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 blah. But I, but I'm trying to point out that like you could also have seen similar evolutionary decisions if the may, everything else still being the same. But you're just trying to maximize your maximize your chances. Totally. <laughs> I mean, that, and that's the point is yeah. like you can and, and people do make up literally any story you want to, right. given observation. Um, right. And people have, you know, they'll be because like, the same thing would happen, right? Like the males with the smaller penises would still die off because they tried. They had their one monogamous partner and they never had kids, and they tried for years and it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so another uh, thing that people point to is that our penises, we have these these mushroom heads, if you will, right, on our penises in general. Um, and do you know what the speculation about this is? Just uh, isn't it like to try to keep it in a little bit? Like so that's not extreme I, as like the dog could, one, but could be. But you haven't heard the other speculation? Mm, no. So the other speculation is that, and people will talk about it as if it's fact, that it's a scoop that scoops out previous. Oh yes, yes, yes. I have, I have heard that. That's true. That's yeah, true. It scoops out previous I, uh, uh, ejaculate, and that, uh, and so some people consider this fact, <laughs> and and it's interesting because what people will say on the internet, it's like, oh well, that's why you know men are sort of ravenous for sex and that's why you know because we evolved basically from a species that raped women you know uh -huh. and it's interesting because it's like well there's another angle here of like the women actually invited 10 people to have sex with her sure she actually wanted it she you know it wasn't imposed on her and because she wants to reproduce she wants to have a child right uh now some species are you know like ducks have a more um, shall we say rape culture? But anyway, so so we're a scientific species. Let's design a study. Let's design a study to determine if this hypothesis has evidence or not. So the you know the hypothesis we have a mushroom uh, shaped penis top because w women would have sex with multiple males at when they were in estrus or all the time, and the mushroom scoop evolved to get rid of previous sperm inside the vagina how do we design that can study? i raise my hand here yeah can i ask a question when you have a tube and it's filled with some fluid if i put another uh tube a cylinder into that tube and the cylinder has like a little plunger at the top the first time i pump pump it in what happens to that fluid <laughs> does it go out or in <laughs> no if anything the second dude with well, the... Well, okay, so you have a hypothesis. <laughs> right. Let's design a study, design a study. Right. What, what's the study design? Well, we, we try some fluid dynamics. Uh, we, we simulate some penises and vaginas, put some fluids... Tell me specifically. In. We got to... Tell me specifically. Yeah, we're going to literally make fake vaginas out of... Oh, fake vaginas. Yeah, fake vaginas, fake penises. We put fluid in that's the similar consistency, okay. viscosity as, as cum. And we do some pumping studies and see how much of it stays in, how much of it goes further in, how much of it goes out. There's something and then we vary the, sh the shape of the... of the, You know, does penis have a bulb or no bulb and blah, 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 Good. blah, blah. There's something about the word cum I just don't like. It just sounds... Sorry, ejaculate. Yeah, that's, that's more sexy to me. <laughs> uh, um, 
Yeah. Okay. So that's one. That's one study. What's another? What's another study? So what's the limitations to that study? Uh, human motion during the act. What else? Mm, I mean, it's not exactly the same materials. Right. Good. What else? Um, uh, the time length. You don't know exactly how long between this. You know, you'd have to try. I, you could introduce that into the experiment, yeah. though. There's one variable that you haven't mentioned yet. That is a limitation to that study. Um, I don't know. It's you can't simulate uh, conception with that. Well, sure, but you you can't simulate conception. Period. Right. You can. Well, <laughs> you can't ethically. But, well, but the but, uh, well, but that's a major limitation, Berto. Like you can't uh, with all the other studies that they've done previously. Um, you're you're assuming, which is you know a strong assumption, but not necessarily true, that the you know the the cubic centimeters of ejaculate that gets through to the uterus correlates with well, with just, the chance of of, impreg- of conception, but you just don't really know. But we just took that correlation at face value for explaining why penises got bigger, and we can't test that hypothesis right. because we just don't know. Right, we have to conclude as, that there, that's a limitation. Right, but if the I was trying to sort of like disprove. But it, let me put it this way. The hypothesis I was going in wasn't that concept- conception happened, was that more cum was removed by the bulbous head. And I'm saying that you could run that experiment and see whether or not yeah, it so, gets so if, removed. Okay, good. So if that's the hypothesis, but that's yeah. not the critical hypothesis. The critical hypothesis is that the shape of the penis increases likelihood of conception. That's that's the well, critical hypothesis. That's not what I understood. It was that it decreases the chances that the previous ejaculate led to conception. Okay. And and increases because the hidden hypothesis is that ejaculate that stays within and especially closer to the egg right. is more likely to impregnate the egg. Right. But, you know, it's it's just we just But the shape of the head, by the way, is not scraping the inside of the uterus. <laughs> right. So it's a where we have limitations with your, you know, sound yeah. design. Um, also, uh, what they'll do is they'll take, um, you know, real people. Right. And they'll they'll put something inside and then uh, they'll have one couple have sex. You know, in order to really design like a, an effective uh, study that would actually be a, an effective valid test would be you would have a number of women volunteer during estrus right. to have sex with, uh, you know, 10 different men. And you would make sure you kept track of who had Whose sex, who, who, well, who had sex when, like yeah. in, in which order. And then you would do this thousands of times and you would figure out at what point in that sequence of males is the most optimal to get the woman pregnant? Is it the first? Is it the fifth? Is it the tenth? Or is it all the same? But you still wouldn't prove your original hypothesis necessarily. I guess, yeah, you're right, um, because there's other things. Yeah, there's a lot of variables, but you'd be be closer to uh, an answer. It could have been uh, the more acidic sperm. It could have been the the first sperm just uh, gets everything readied up, but you need the latter sperm for the... Right, (laughs) right. Or the woman gets more turned on and therefore, you know, whatever. And so... Yeah, you'd have to test all those, and you'd have to you'd have to uh, limit or control for all those variables. But anyway, yeah. there's not a lot of 
effort to like have that <laughs> have that yeah. kind of uh, study. And so we just don't know. And that so on the internet they'll say, oh, penis scoops. That means you know men were raping women, but um, but there, there's there's not there's not. Uh, Again, I still don't understand how a hermetically sealed pump pumping the previous fluid closer well, to the uterus so they, is leading to the... <laughs> so they have done studies with um, dildos and with women, uh, and they will put um, some kind of viscous fluid up there and then, you know, do the pumping. Yeah. <laughs> and they do find that it does... Uh, uh, what do you call excavate remove, remove um, a fair amount oh, okay. uh, or some yeah, yeah. amount that's not insignificant anyway so the other thing we get to here is that men are bigger than women and so what does that tell us about other primates and ourselves because mm-hmm. human males are bigger than women so some people will point to and I think you have in the past that this points to evidence that we are like gorillas and that we come from a history of, I don't think you believe this anymore, but, and I don't know if you said it, but anyway, people will say this, is that... What, what I have said about the size was that uh, m- males dominated females throughout most of history because of their size. And prior to agriculture... We, yeah, we, I didn't, I didn't yeah. Dis- distinguish that. Right. So that is dubious because if you just look at gorillas only, then it seems, you know, logical. But if we look at all primates, so look, let's look at all primates. So gorillas, for example, they have high sexual dimorphism. The male is what times bigger than the female? So if, if one yeah. to one is equal... 60%. Uh, yeah, close. So 1.5, which I think is yeah. 50%. I'm not quite sure how that works out. But so the male is... 1.5 times, yeah. on average, as big the as, the, the, as the female, wow. which seems weird to me because I would think they were like three times as big. Because, <laughs> man, when you see those silverbacks, man, it's just sure. like they, they're just But huge. a female gorilla has nothing to right. fuck with. <laughs> no problem. Right. So in this uh, natural state, we yeah. see generally one dominant male, several females. Right. Okay. So now let's work our way down the spectrum. Chimps and bonobos. And, and by the way, that is the way that... I think the MGTOW or incel community sees the world is right. that there's a few silverbacks out there getting all the sex from all the females. Well, and or our natural state of affairs is for women to succumb to men's power. Sure. And that uh, women should hand themselves over. I don't know. Anyway, chimps and bonobos, what times are they? Again, Gorillas 1.5, chimps, chimps and bonobos. Chimps are like 1.2. Good. So chimps and bonobos 1.2, 1.3. So this is, you know, moderate sexual. Oh, I thought bonobos, I thought the female was a little larger for the bonobos. No, the males are oh, bigger. okay. Males are bigger. Um, now, if we project into the future another 5 million years, maybe we would see that because mm-hmm. there, there isn't much, there isn't as much of a need. In fact, yeah. if I remember right, uh, the male, the differences are uh, smaller in bonobos than in chimps. I see. So uh, with chimps and bonobos, they have very complex sexual lives that are very different from from gorillas. Yeah. Sometimes dominant males will uh, get more access and restrict access to, to females. <clears throat> but in general, females tend to mate with several males yeah. within and without the tribe. Um, so... What does this mean? You know, because we would think that uh, since chimps and bonobos are 
at least close to gorillas in terms of the dimorphism between males and females, that we would see at least, you know, closer to gorillas. But actually, we see this completely other system mm. that uh, doesn't, isn't a shade off of gorillas. You know, right. it's, 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 it's like very different, you know, in gorilla society, there tends to be like consistent sex between, you know, like a, a female will, if, if she's mating with a guy right now, she probably will mate with that guy next year. You know mm. what I mean? Whereas in chimps and bonobo society, it's like, it's, yeah. it tends to be more random than that. All over the place. Okay. So then we look at gibbons. Uh, they're virtually the same size. And we see with them that they are generally monogamous. Mm. They, they sometimes have dalliances. They sometimes have quote unquote divorces. But in general, at the very least, for a periods of time, they tend to mate with only one person, virtually the same size. And the speculation mm. is that, well, males don't have to be bigger because the species has an instinct for pair bonding. Yeah. And so once you find your mate, um, other males come along and say, oh, well, she's already taken. Sure. So what's the point? And I, and I don't need to be bigger to fight that guy. I'll, I'll find yeah. there's a lid for every pot here. I'll find <laughs> I'll find my female. Uh, marmosets, which are very cute, very small uh, primates. The female slightly bigger, but not by much, but slightly bigger. So what behavior might we expect here? Uh, the marmoset females are slightly bigger. Yeah. Um, that potentially the yeah. So potentially the the female is protective of. They're, they're a little more protective of their males. Okay. So they, she, the, the one female might have a few males, but they're protective of them. Excellent. So exactly. So that's what we see. So now you're getting the, when we you know, look at a variable, you actually can see, you know, a difference in behavior. Right. And you, we see that in marmosets, uh, there's, a, there's some uh, females that have more than one male. Um and uh, so it's like, and that competition, like, well, Ooh. females will fight each other and, you know, for the males. Now, humans, what, what, how, so gorillas, 1.5, yeah. chimps and bonobos, 1.3, 1.2, gibbons, the same, marmosets, the female is like 1.1-ish. What's the human ratio? Yeah, like 1.2, maybe. 1.1. 1.1. So males are, uh, we're, we're very close to gibbons, you know, we're closer to gibbons in terms of dimorphism sure. than than we are to chimps and bonobos. But what does this mean? So if we fit ourselves into the um, into the spectrum, uh, it would seem again it's not a it's not a accurate way of sure. looking at biology and behavior. But it's possible that we're like gibbons in that we're we mate for we like monogamy. Yeah, you know, there's not a lot of competition among men. Uh, for the females, we tend to latch up and yeah. pair up, and then we we stick with that person. But there is males are a little bigger, so there is a little competition, and so maybe we're uh, we're we're mostly monogamous, but we definitely have a non monogamous side to us, which yeah. seems to correlate with our behavior and our you know when you sort of look at people's preferences in life, right. you know, it seems to reflect that. And, but, and then I also think like you, we got to think of the mix of variables. For example, if gorillas were thrust into an experience where they, they didn't have abundant resources and they became violent, man, that would be trouble, right? Yeah. Their violence levels would go up they, and, and being how powerful they are, 
the women's would the women would probably suffer quite a bit. Uh, each other, the ones that weren't as powerful, would die a lot more. You know, all these kind of things. So it feels like humans were like this. Is why I kept saying humans were sort of like this half bonobo, half chimp, thrust into a very aggressive chimp-like situation, and when say the when the shift happened to agriculture to more agricultural societies and so then a lot of violence ensued right and unfortunately at that point the slight size advantage did play a role right yeah <clears throat> interesting way of looking at it for sure all right so let's conclude so i want to provide some Opinions from other people. So yeah. from the blog article author, Patrick Clarkin, PhD, he says, our evolutionary story seems to want to defy a simple narrative. Yeah. So his conclusion That's was great. like, yeah, his conclusion was like, and his, and I only went over like 20% of his notes, you yeah. know, kind of a thing. And his conclusion after looking at all the different angles, he's just like, huh, this is not a simple story. This is really hard to, this is a hard story. You know, in the entirety, we have a story. We yeah. have a lot of different things to say, a lot of different data to, to look at. But man, it is hard to know. Yeah. Like what we are, quote unquote, naturally. And even the question of natural state is problematic. You know what I mean? Um, so also, according to me, this is my conclusion. There's a lot of evidence going in different directions. You know, there. Also, there's a lot of variation across our species, mm -hmm. both individually and culturally. So what does that mean? I think we clearly have a drive for variety on some level. I, you know, it seems to be when you look at all the evidence and you look at the biological evidence and the morphology and the other species, I, I think it's, it's probable that we all have an inner bonobo and chimp sure. who um, both men and women who have a drive. Again, it's a drive. It's not like a intellectual preference. It's yeah. like a, you know, the, the chimp who has sex with a dozen males while she's in estrus, it's not like she wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll have sexual, you know, it, 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 it's just a drive. It's yeah. pleasurable. It, 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 it's like, yes, let's do this, you know. This it's is what the I, time of the year. Yeah, come on, you next. Come on, let's go, yeah. you know. And so I think given the evidence, I think we clearly... Um, on average, because some people don't even want to have sex at all, by the way, sure. <laughs> but on average, we clearly have a drive for at least some variety. And we clearly have a drive for pair bonding. Sure. I mean, that is clear. Yeah. We fall in love. <laughs> yeah. We don't fall in love with five people at once. I mean, yeah. even polyamorous people will recognize new relationship energy. Yeah. And that's not at five people. That's at one person. Yeah. You're just like, oh, my God, you. Yeah, your eyes and your everything and every you know I just want to do you all the time you know and so we clearly have a draw and that seems to last for at least some period of time right a, a year five years whatever we want to put to it and and, and um and remembering that our 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 heads got so much bigger comparatively than the other even our closest primates. Yeah. So the 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 pregnancy and birth and early childhood became that much more dangerous, like what we were saying earlier. Right. Yeah. The need to take care of offspring yeah. is greater uh, than it is for other primates because right. of because of the um, abnormally sized 
head of our offspring and the long period of time that it takes the infant to actually, um, you know, survive on its own. You know, it always just boggles me when I see a horse <laughs> is born and within like five minutes it's walking around yeah. and looking <laughs> like, you know, it's like the equivalent of being like a, like a 10 year old human. It right. comes out of the womb as a 10-year-old already, yeah, yeah. and we are just woefully helpless <laughs> for, for years because of the, you know, the, 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 the cost-benefit was like, well, the cost is we're helpless for the first you know, five years, but the benefit is you get this giant brain, yeah. and that can help you figure things out. So Patrick Clark and PhD also wrote uh, that Ken Rice wrote, we are hardwired not to be hardwired. Mm. So I love this phrase. Yeah. So we're naturally adaptive. Yeah. So if we're trying to look for what are we naturally? Are we monogamous? Are we polyamorous? Right. You know, what are we naturally? Well, there seems to be a lot of evidence that we are naturally unna- we're naturally not anything. <laughs> yeah. Our nature is to adapt not only to our environment in terms of food and resources, but also to the society that we grow yeah. up in. Yeah. If our society is extremely monogamous, then we adapt to that. Yeah. If our society uh, says jealousy is bad and men and women can have you know, sex with other people, it's fine. Then we adapt to that. We're very programmable. <laughs> and we can even reprogram ourselves midway through life. Yeah. There are people who grow up monogamous and do monogamy and then boom – they're swinging, they're polyamory, and like yeah. this a whole other lifestyle. We are clearly, and, and, it's, and they are happy and they thrive. There are so yeah. many different ways to thrive relationship-wise and sexually-wise. So we clearly were uh, designed to be flexible. Yeah, minus module the uh, kind of the built-in hormones and cycles that we don't seem to be able to adapt actually well at all. Right. Like we can't, <laughs> we, we can't, um, well, that's not even true. I was going to say we can't fall in love with a tree, but we can fall in love with a tree. <laughs> well, it's more like, it's more like you can't tell yourself, don't feel cer- a certain way about that person right now. Yeah. That's not a thing most humans can do. No, you, you can try really hard, but mostly you're, you're, there's a lot of these chemicals that just get fired anyways. But I would contend, and so would these people, yeah. that the culture you grow up in will determine uh, where that drive is pointed and how intense it is. Sure. I, I could see that. Yeah. Wow, I'm glad you. I thought I was going to get pushback on no, that. No, no, not 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 on that. Because you're you're basically saying, no, I totally agree. But I'm glad you is like yeah, yeah. I've, I've pulled you over to my well, side. Well, as an example, as an yes, you're right. As an example, uh, if as an infant, if as an infant, you your uh, pleasure is regularly regularly rewarded in a certain way, I think that's going to reinforce right epigenetics. So yeah. you have neurons that are set to be set that way and through puberty for example you're 13 years old and all those romantic and sexual hormones are starting to kick in and your brain is starting to wire itself for sex and around you is romantic comedies and roses and chocolates and getting down on one knee and when you're you're a you know 25 year old woman and let's just even say you're a lesbian and your uh, gay, you know, partner, she gets down on her knee. Yeah. 
your body is going to have a physiological yeah. fucking reaction. Now, were you... Did you evolve to have a physiological reaction when she gets down on a knee? No. No. Uh, you, because we're so adaptive and our right. brain is so able to just absorb it. I mean, it just freaks me out sometimes to think about this because it's just like our brain is, you know. It, 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 so it, programmable. It's like this weird octopus that's like reaching out and feeling the world. You know, like you just, I just had this vision of, you know, octopus with all these tentacles like, blindly feeling around and go, oh, okay, I got you. I got you there. I got you there. And it's just, and it's starting to, you know, form this new brain. It's, you know, like the world is black. So, you know, I'm going to change myself black to fit in with this world. It's just, yeah. it's creepy when you think about well, it. Well, and, and hence why, and we, I think we have great proof, sadly, when you see uh, bad development in that, okay, well, why is this person attracted and sexually stimulated by violence, right? Oh look, they they were subjected to violence during these development phases, right. and they were adapted to that. Certainly, they didn't evolve to to automatically want that violence, right? So, to conclude, from Patrick Clark and PhD blog, uh, uh, are we naturally blank? I guess I, I can't remember the exact title, but he says perhaps the question is not whether humans are naturally monogamous. Instead, we should ask. What are the relative sizes of the center and the periphery and how much variation there is around them and what factors affect these? So I just love that. Yeah. And as the great Dan Savage said, we are monogamish. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I find that way more useful than saying we're not or we are. But it's kind of freaky. Sure. And it's kind of scary because it's like, well, what's the answer? Particularly if you're unhappy out there. Sure. It's it's like, well, so what's the answer? Like, what am I supposed to do, you know? What's the road to happiness? And on one level, it's scary because we don't have a roadmap. But on the other, it's like, you know, you're free to explore and, and discover. And there's a lot of flexibility there. At the very least, what we could say, I think, and we talk about this often, is like, we need to stop judging other people for their lifestyles. You know, if someone doesn't want to ever get married and they don't want to ever have kids and they want to have, you know, you have a woman who's like from the age of 16, she's just like, I want to have sex with a different person every week. Yeah. We need to stop judging that. Sure. There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Oh, STIs. There are ways or there's a ways to prevent sure. STIs. Um, so uh, because what if that woman at 16 and, you know, throughout the rest of her life, that is her optimal lifestyle. Yeah. And and then she isn't able to do that. And we shove her into this monogamous world and she she gets depressed and she she cheats and yeah. she beats herself up and yeah. she starts to develop excuses like, Well, I guess I'm just a terrible person. Yeah. And uh, you know, now I'm not justifying cheating by any stretch of the imagination. No, but it's it's like it, you could because you look at the opposite case too, which is Someone who uh, is not in relationships for very long, and yet when they when you ask them, what do you want of your life, say, in, when you're older, or in 20 years, 30 years? Like, well, I don't know. I want to have a family. I want to have people around me that care about me and, like, grandkids and all these things. Well, then you could say, well, maybe what you're doing then is not conducive towards that. But it's not because it's more natural or not. It's just what you want doesn't align with your behavior. Right. And so we need to start looking critically at our society, at our laws, at our policies, at our culture, at our stigma, 
And each one of us has to not only question, am I living the life I want to live? Yeah. And also we have to listen more carefully when other people are, you know, talking and talking about these decisions or exhibiting behaviors. We have to be careful about like not labeling things as bad and good. Uh, that's a very hard thing for us to do. Um, the last thing I'll say is that, and related to what I just said, was that there's for each one of you out there, including me and Umberto, there's a lot of potential paths to happiness. There's not. There's probably not one path to the optimal happiness. Uh, that's my conclusion for myself because I'm in a monogamous relationship with my wife, and I uh, love her and like that right. arrangement. Now, if I look at all these data and I'm like, well, so maybe I, I could have a happy life without that. Right. And, you know, it's compelling. You know, when you look at chimps and bonobos and the penis size. And, Meaning you want chimps and bonobos? That's <laughs> called BCLA. <laughs> you, 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 just, you just say, wow, you know, uh, maybe, maybe I've been shoved into a hole that, it, you know, it's, it's not the full me. Sure. Well, now it would be perfectly fine for me to explore that and to ethically figure out a solution to that, you know. But for me, I'll just tell you, I am fine with, if I'm on one track of 10 tracks that are available to me, I'm fine with that. I like this track. Right. There's pros and cons to any of the fucking any tracks. tracks. <laughs> yeah. And this track, I like the pros and I'll take the cons. It absolutely. It's like what you do right now. What are you doing daily for your life well you are recording into a microphone is that the only thing you can do yeah there's a billion things you could do right and there's pros and cons yeah like talking to a mic means i have to talk into the mic too so that's a con but you know there's pros like you get to give me gifts <laughs> well i've been recording your end of the conversation if oh I... damn it <laughs> not even the echo <laughs> so if you've been listening thus far i think we've been talking for three hours holy crap and you are not a patron. I just want to publicly shame that right now. <laughs> that is not the way evolution should have played out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Think about all those bonobos that would become patrons if they had the brain size. Yeah. Becoming a patron is, you know, every now and then I'll get an email saying a new person became a patron. <gasps> and it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to be validated in that way. You know, it's one thing for someone to listen. It's another thing to be like, you know what? I like your product that much that I'm willing to, you know, contribute to it. Because when you can, you're contributing, you know, it's not just a, a trivial thing to us. Right. Like the, the, the contributions mean that me and Umberto get to spend a lot more time away from other, you know, needed money-making schemes. More bonobo schemes. <laughs> Our regular jobs, yes. uh, to be specific. So that we can, you know, this episode, for example... Um, now I'm just going on a pledge drive, but just <laughs> forgive me for a second. This this episode, for example, you know, um, are humans made for monogamy? This took me probably like three weeks. Yeah. Uh, took me, uh, you know, four hours a day on average. You know, some days it was all day, like, you know, 16 yeah. hours all day long uh, looking at the science. Now, some of you biologists out there are just like, oh, my God, well, Jesus. Join you, the club. Well, kiddo. you should have done it more yeah. because some of your some of your BS, you know. Well, could, but I had to do like three hard weeks of alternating between massive polygamy and massive monogamy. To find out. Yeah. 
Um, so that'd be a good band name, Massive Polygamy. Um, <laughs> Up next, Massive Polygamy. <laughs> and their songs are like, it's in the forest, we are happy together. <laughs> Having sex with everyone. And bonobos too. Long phalluses <laughs> are needed to compete with John because no one likes John. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, becoming a patron is it me, you know, with every, you know, additional person who becomes a patron, that means that we get to continue doing this. And if even more people become patrons, it means that we could spend even more time and go right. in, and I would have the ability to spend even more time like researching yeah. topics and going deep. We could dives. travel to the Congo even. We could. And observe ourselves. Uh, uh-oh, Birdo's gone native. <laughs> He's out there. Birdo! <laughs> That's an old inside joke of, of ours. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Let us know what you think. Comment below. I am curious, as particularly to you experts out there, what did I get wrong? What did I get right? And for you, all you other non-experts out there, how do you feel about monogamy? What are what's your path? Some of you out there are way beyond monogamy. You're fully yeah. polyamorous, and right. you figured out the whole system. Uh, let us know what you think. Did we say anything that upset you? That triggered you? Keep that to your fucking self. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. Just joking. Be polite. Feel free to uh, comment below, and please take care of yourself because you deserve it.